Howdy, everybody, and welcome to another BP Movie Journal, the show we do since uh, where we talk about the stuff we've seen since the last time we did one of these. I'm David. I'm Tyler. Speaking of the last time we did one of these, it's been a month. Yeah. Like, I'm looking at my list, and I'm like, oh, God, I have to remember <laughs> my thoughts on this movie that yeah. I watched a month ago. But, yeah, it's been, the schedule's been crazy, uh, which is why, part of why, now, I know you just got back in town and haven't listened to the episode. Thank you to Scott and Julie for mm-hmm. uh, doing the, the main episode last week. We talked about the TCM Film Fest. But we finally got around to thanking our listeners james for sending you pizzas oh yes which yes, beca- like because of the schedule being all crazy i think or at least that's the excuse i'm using that we just kept forgetting to say thanks yeah. to james so i'm going to just do it on two episodes in a row to make up for it sure so thank you to for sending tyler pizzas yes thank you because i got them much. last I time and they were great and uh we should remember to thank somebody i forget his name who sent us an electronic version of our uh, theme song wait did i did you forward that one to me yeah okay all right. It was a while ago. Yeah. Like, I can understand. Uh, but we'll, we'll look it up, and uh, then we'll thank you by name instead of the thing you did. Yeah. So, okay. All right. Well, let's just get started, I Indeed. think, because uh, we got a lot. Uh, got a long way to go and a short time to get there. A lot to get here. Yeah. My first few are going to be, uh, so I'm going to do two, and then and then you'll do two, and then we'll go to two, one, sure. two, one. Sure. Okay. I love how we talk with this on the mic every yeah. time. Uh, all right. But so my first couple are gonna have something in common. Uh, first, I watched 1967's *The Born Losers*, which is the first Billy Jack movie. Oh yes, yes, okay. Um, and you can tell, like, uh, I, I, you can read my review on the website uh, of the box set. I watched all four Billy Jack movies, so uh, my comments on each are gonna get kind of colored by the other. You can tell *The Born Losers* was like, um, it's it's a. a Tom Laughlin, is that his name? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Tom Laughlin sort of getting his foot in the door on the kind of stuff that he wanted to do. Like, this is a, a, this is a movie that is uh, anti-Nazi, anti like pro-feminist, but it's still not like as politics forward as movies would get. Right. You could tell like this is him saying like basically saying, okay, I need to make some money making essentially a motorcycle exploitation movie that has no nudity, thank God, even though it has multiple rapes. I think, uh, yeah, it's basically about like, and also it, t- it takes place in a different, like all of the main Billy Jack movies clearly take place in like, I'm going to guess like New Mexico or Arizona, like somewhere Canyony. Yeah. It's a, yeah. Yeah. This is clearly California. It's like mm-hmm. a beachside town that gets sort of taken over by this ba- band of neo-Nazi gangsters who then, um, they get drunk and they rape a bunch of like the col- college girls. And then, like and that's like early on in the movie and then the rest of the movie is the like the cops trying to get any of these college girls to testify while the biker gang are essentially terrorizing them and their families to keep them from testifying so wait so the cops can't do anything so i assume no justice is served <laughs> billy jack steps up oh, okay all right oh thank god um uh, and yeah, so it has, it, it has some of the, you know, people, somebody gets kicked in the face, which is a Billy Jack thing. Someone gets shot in the, in the forehead, which is also uh, a thing in at least three of the Billy Jack of the four Billy Jack movies. Someone gets shot like directly between the eyes. Like it, it, I guess it wasn't enough that Billy Jack, uh, is good at kicking people in the face. That's his trademark thing. Mm-hmm. He's also like a really, well, we should, I guess we should say, I'm assuming because I watched all four and I know that you know who Billy Jack is. Yeah. 
it really is fascinating to me that these Billy Jack movies were like really successful. Yes. And then it's not really talked about. It's a, it's an entire four film franchise that is not really talked about anymore. I think it is, it is seen as such a relic of its time. Yeah. N- not like, but that's the thing. Not unlike Easy Rider, but Easy Rider had Jack Nicholson and Dennis right. Hopper and Peter Fonda. Billy Jack has nobody. Uh, I'm sorry, Howard Hessman's in in the second one. Yeah, uh, yeah. So I think it's that. And, um, I think it's, yeah. Well, the fourth one also has uh, a couple big, a couple character actors you've heard of. But we'll, we'll get to that one later. And I do know that um, a number of people look at some of the Death Wish esque qualities and say like this seems at odds with what it's trying to do with the 60s well, let's, mentality. Yeah, let's um I guess let's hold off that, on that yeah. because it's it's very like in some ways it is. so Billy Jack uh, these are independently produced films released by American Independent Pictures and then sort of released by uh, like I think the first Billy Jack was released by Warner Brothers and was not a success and Tom Laughlin was like you didn't do this right and he like bought the right back released it on his own and it became a huge success. Yeah. So like he was right. Yeah. For as much as this guy like basically carved out a niche in the industry that was just for him to write, direct and star in his own movies with his wife. Um, who's not in the first one. She's in the other three. Um, like he was really successful. So basically, basically yeah. he created this character. Tom Laughlin is not half native American. The character of Billy Jack is, yeah. he's a former green beret who is, who lives, uh, well, okay. See, I'm not, I'm, all, I'm already blending the films In the first one. He does not live on a reservation. Okay. Uh, he's he, off the reservation. He, he, yeah. He lives like in the woods on his own. He has a cabin in the woods, um, uh, on his own, but it's not on the reservation as the rest of the movies will become. Um, and he, uh, believes very deeply in people loving each other and treating each other with dignity and respect. And if people don't do that, right. He, he, uh, he is willing to kick them in the face and or shoot them in the head if necessary. Sometimes both. Uh, Yeah. Um, and I think the movies eventually sort of, uh, again, I don't want to give it away. I, I think they get more into especially once they introduce, well, I guess I'll, because I'm doing two movies in a row, I'll also talk about Billy Jack, which is my second one here. The first named movie. Once they introduce the character of, um, and I forget the character's name, but it's, uh, Dolores Taylor is the actress. She's his wife. She co-wrote the movies with him. Once they introduce her and she actually like represents true pacifism. Yes. It actually opens up the movie to, to to address its own hypocrisy. The, the series to address its own. When I saw Billy Jack a few months ago, you know, for the first hour and a half, I remember being like, Tom Laughlin, I, I don't think you realize what you're doing here. Uh-huh. And then she chimes in there at the end. And I thought like, okay, this is much more mature. Now one could yeah. say it's, you know, uh, trying to have its cake and eat it too, but I don't think it is. I think it's sincere in its desire to kind I, of examine itself. I really am fascinated by, by these movies and by, uh, now I think you set off Mike that the, the stuff you didn't like about Billy Jack is maybe my favorite stuff, which is all the hippies just talking, sitting around talking about their ideas. Um, uh, Hippie improv. Can you imagine <laughs> anything more insufferable? Um, although, yeah, there is. Yeah, they do. There's a lot of different. So we'll talk about the second one on the reservation where Billy Jack lives. There's also a woman, a white woman. Uh, is it Jane? Jane sounds right to me. But anyway, I'll played by Dolores Taylor, who runs a school. That's the school is situated on the reservation, but it's open to you know Native Americans and anyone alike. 
Um, and it's not a traditional school in any way. It's very Montessori ish, just sort of like people figuring out their own shit. Um, Gene, uh, Gene, not Gene. Okay. Gene. Yes. Uh, and the, the, the premise of Bill, of Billy Jack, which I, I really find interesting is that, um, one of the, the, in the town next to the reservation, the daughter or the sheriff's deputy's daughter has run away to San Francisco, yeah. comes back. She's pregnant. And that was something that the, the bit about her talking about not knowing who the father is and talking about being passed around by the hippies. Mm-hmm. It really felt like Billy Jack. Yeah. He spends a lot of time talking like the, the movie spent a lot of time, uh, denigrating the, like, ignorance and the sort of small minded nationalism, um, that, that we see in these small towns and also in 2018, which is why these movies actually feel kind of, mm-hmm. uh, relevant again. I feel like there is some, like, also he doesn't have a lot of patience for mainstream hippie, hippie, hippie them either. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I think there is some, there is kind of a critique there in her coming back and saying like, you know, he, Billy Jack and, and Jean believe in true, like free love and everything. And she went and was essentially used by yeah. hippie men in the name of free, free love. Anyway. So she comes back. Uh, her dad is an asshole. He hits her. Yeah. Um, so she runs away to the school, to the reservation. Although I do like the sheriff character. I uh, think he's an interesting guy. It, yeah. Cause he's like a, a decent man. Yeah. Who still like believes in his job and law and order and everything. But, uh, yeah, he's a decent man. Um, but she, so she runs away to the, to the, uh, the, the, the freedom schools, what it's called on the reservation, which sets up a, uh, a big battle between the townspeople and the, and the hippies because they're saying you're harboring, you know, this girl is underage. You can't keep her there anyway. Um, so yeah, that's the premise of the, of the second one. Um, which does have, um, um, an actor of some note, um, uh, Bert Freed. Oh yes. Um, okay. Is, is in it. Um, he's the, uh, uh, Posner is his name. He's the, like, I guess he's the, he's the shit kicker, Mr. Burns of yeah. the town. Yeah. Like he's, he doesn't actually, he's not the mayor. He's not the sheriff, but he's the one that most people actually answer to. Yeah. I remember looking him up at the time and thinking that like, he's a very, uh, a very fun character actor. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he's in, um, whatever happened to baby Jane, I think. Yeah. Um, and some stuff when he was younger as well. Um, anyway, I don't know. Uh, I, he's I, also a more serious boss hog. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I really enjoy these uh, these movies, um, partially as a time capsule. But again, as I've seen, like so much of the stuff that he's addressing in these movies. First, in the first one, obviously, like neo Nazism, which is on the you know sure. has, has has risen again, um, never having fully gone away, and the you know the the. Uh, sexual assault of women in the first one and the second mm-hmm. one the idea of what constitutes an american and who gets to say who's an american with the right. way that the the um the uh assholes in the small town treat the native americans and i think it's you know speaking of the the <clears throat> exploitation of of women in like within a community like in the the sheriff's deputy's daughter who got like you know for lack of a better term passed around the idea of i think that's the term she uses in the movie so you know that is an environment that appears to be 
on her side and very like, hey, you know, no, we're not going to hurt anybody. We're not going to mm-hmm. do anything like that, which is something that we've talked about on here in reference to certain Me Too things. Um, some, you know, some of the people that have been some of the guys that have been exposed are people that are very, ver- very vocal, Folk, like yeah. allies. And then it turns out like, oh, yes, uh, I don't necessarily think that some of those people were saying that solely so that they could get close. But once they realized they were, it's like, well, hey, I mean, <laughs> let's do this. So there, there is something it'd be it's very easy. And I've I heard Billy. I heard about Billy Jack as a punchline first mm-hmm. as like the 60s. Every it's everything the 60s. So I went into it with that attitude and it. And yes, there are things that make me roll my eyes, but that's to be expected for any, with anything that's so of its time. But I do think that it's it's like what you and I have been talking about in the past, which is it's so specific to its time that, yes, there are certain things like, yeah, all right, that's we see that as kind of silly now, but it's so specific in its themes and it's sincerity in exploring them that it actually winds up being oddly universal and oddly relevant even to now. Yeah, and yeah. my guess is if you were to look at the eighties, nineties, you would probably find something then as well that Billy Jack speaks to. Yeah, that's probably true. Um, the last point I wanted to make and then don't worry, there's more Billy Jack coming up. Um, <laughs> oh, thank God. Uh, you mentioned easy writer. I think the difference, cause I don't think easy writer holds up all that well. No. Um, I think the difference is that easy writer is a very cynical movie. It's about the sixties, but it's about the sixties failing yeah we the, blew it we blew it is the yeah the 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 what's the word that i'm looking for there's a fancy word for the end of a thing um uh, <laughs> no 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 the uh eh, oh well i can't think of uh, it's like a musical term anyway um crescendo that's the one i was looking for damn it i'll, f- I'll find it right. uh whereas the billy jack movies are very hopeful i think i mean they're also incredibly angry at things not being the right way but they yeah. but but easy rider doesn't have it in in, in itself anymore to be angry it yeah. says we fucked up billy jack says no we can still do something about this and it drives billy jack fucking mad yeah. that people aren't doing things about that there's still so much injustice um anyway uh Let's move on to your two movies before we get back to Billy Jack. All right. So I was uh, a bit sick a few weeks ago, and as listeners can tell, it came back. Uh, I'm a bit under the weather right now as well. So when I am sick, I like to rewatch movies. Now, I always enjoy rewatching movies, but when I'm sick, I will return to movies I have watched many, many, oh, many yeah. times. Uh, but one of these uh, is a film that I haven't seen in quite a while, um, and that is The Incredibles. Uh, with the second film coming out soon, sure, yeah. I thought I would rewatch the first. And of course, it's great in a lot of ways. Here's what's fascinating, and I, I don't say this as a criticism. If you go back and watch those Pixar films of the '90s, and I'd say the early 2000s, it is w- weird to think how, uh, certainly not primitive, but how. <clears throat> how simple some of the animation is. And I think the Incredibles has some really fast paced, sophisticated animation. But when you think of it now and like the texture of characters, skin and fabric and hair Mm -hmm. and all that, um, it's interesting to look at the Incredibles 
now. Now I recognize that the design has to be the, the nature of that world is everything's a little bit slick. Everything's a little bit angular because yeah. it's meant to be sort of yeah. a throwback. Um, so that's fine. But, but it is interesting to go back and look at that. And I have no doubt that if I were to go back and watch the first toy story, um, I would be, uh, astonished at the, again, to use a word that I don't think necessarily applies, but I'll use it anyway, uh, how primitive it looks, but the incredible still is wonderfully written insanely well acted and i cannot get over that music it's michael giacchino i believe and it's big fan and it's yeah it's really it's everything that need that music needs to be i'm i'm excited it got me excited for the uh, the sequel uh as you know i've not i guess the the toy story sequels have, have both been pretty good um but and I think Monsters University is 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 not bad. Um, the Cars movies are awful. I didn't see Finding Dory. Um, to my knowledge, most people aren't happy about the Pixar sequels, um, except for Toy Story, which makes sense because that's yeah. their flagship. Mm-hmm. Um, but one thing, one of their you know, Finding Dory is not bad, by the way. It's not bad. Okay. I mean, Finding Nemo might be my favorite Pixar movie. Sure. So obviously, it's not Finding Nemo, right? But it's a fun movie. Okay. Yeah, I st- and I, it I has think a lot of it has a lot in common with Toy Story three in the sense that a huge part of it is an escape movie. Oh, okay. All right, that sounds good to me. I like that. Um, and so, uh, but yeah, I, The Incredibles, the nature of what it is, just lends itself to a sequel. So I'm actually very excited for it. Yeah. Uh, and I'm and in watching this, I was reminded of how. On top of everything else, <clears throat> I don't think I had watched The Incredibles since reading, sorry everybody, The Fountainhead many years ago. <laughs> There's a lot of Ayn Rand <laughs> in uh, The Incredibles. Isn't that interesting? Like, I'm well, sure I think, you, you know I mean, it if you saw it. People probably I've, recognize it at the time. I haven't read The Fountainhead. Um but you know, but like I think general I mean, philosophy. Yeah, and I think honestly, I mean, there's, that's been a criticism of a lot of super. As much as we all like superheroes on sure. both sides of the aisle, sure. a lot of superheroes have a sort of um, fascistic determin- yeah. determinism type of uh, outlook. But I wonder if that's something specific to Brad Bird because when I saw Tomorrowland, hmm. there's a little bit of it there as well. Interesting. Um, not to, I, I doubt he's an acolyte of, of Ayn Rand or anything, but uh, but it's something that I find very interesting. Um, and so, so I saw I saw that, and then David, it's appropriate that you said that Billy Jack lived in a cabin in the woods uh-huh. because I watched the cabin in the woods. Real quick, what I'm, this is these are all both because you were sick. Yes, my thing that I used to do, I've gotten better. What I well, partially I don't have HBO anymore. Um, but my thing when I used to be sick is I would just be like, what movies are on HBO in the middle of the day while I'm sure, home? Sure. Which is why, how I, I ended up seeing a terrible movie like Firehouse Dog. Oh, boy. Or a nice surprise like uh, Welcome Home, Roscoe Jenkins, which is a really fun movie. Which one is that? It's Martin Lawrence. Martin Lawrence, okay. But it also has uh, Mike Epps, my love. Okay. And I want to say... Is Cedric the Entertainer in that one, or am I getting Cedric the Entertainer movies mixed up? It does feel like <laughs> he should be in there, because... Yeah, but um, it's basically like Martin Lawrence plays, I think, a character who is from a small town and became famous and comes back okay. for, like, a family reunion. All right. That sounds pretty good. Yeah. Um, speaking of Cedric the Entertainer, I was watching... Uh, this is not on my list. I'm just bringing it up. I was watching uh, Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee the other day, and he had a wonderful bit 
just he and Jerry were talking about Waze, the the uh-huh. navigation app, and he talked about when you type in that you're going to like a like a bad neighborhood, like you know Compton or something like that, and then Waze <laughs> and then Waze goes take me off speaker (laughs) and he goes all right man are you sure you really want to go there are you sure all right put me back on speaker and it's like man that's that's funny um okay so real quick um so i'm looking up welcome home album roscoe jenkins yeah it does have the entertainer it also has james Earl jones all right um and um what i'm what i'm forgetting that i should have realized it's directed by malcolm lee who made undercover brother and girls trip Oh, which are both, nice. both yeah, hilarious yeah. movies. So yeah, Welcome Home, Roscoe Jake is definitely worth worth watching. David, I have bad news. <laughs> What's that? Twelve movies. I've seen twelve movies. You mentioned James Earl Jones, which got me thinking of something else. I have twelve movies. Okay, you know I use you got me to use the Letterbox app. I know, but some of the, here's here's the problem <laughs> is it wasn't working on my phone. Okay, and so while I was out of town watching stuff on planes and stuff like that, uh, it's just whatever stuck with me. And it stayed with me when I came home to my computer. Okay. So I'm sorry. I have 12 no. movies. Okay. So you'll do, you finish these, then I'll do two, then you'll do two, then we'll go to then two. We're one. Go. Okay. Uh, ca- so Cabin in the Woods. Um, it's still a movie that I really like, if not love. Um, I de- with every time I see it, I definitely see more of what you're talking about. Uh, there are elements that are just a little bit too easy. And I recognize that they're doing kind of a satire and so when you're doing that and when you're doing something that's kind of comedic, you can do things that are a little bit easier. But the nature of what this is, is that it's actually the nature of this particular satire is that it's more complex um, and that there are people that are the, the big one that, that gets me is <clears throat> that Chris Hemsworth says, let's all I think you brought it up. Let's mm-hmm. all let's stay together. And then they like release this gas and you see him walk into it and then he like pauses for a minute and goes, no, 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 let's split up. And it's like, you know, as opposed to the main character has a knife and she has stabbed somebody with it. And then she's holding it and they push a button and like a little elect- a, a tiny electric shock goes into her hand, causing her to drop. it. Mm-hmm. It's like, OK, that is the kind of thing. It's, it's very specific. Electric shock in this item. Uh, someone will drop it. But like, what the hell is in that smoke? That will make someone yeah. think that specific of just, a thing. Just mystery, dumb you know? mist. Just right, <laughs> yeah. exactly. As opposed to, you know, uh, oh, these two characters want to have sex. Let's release pheromones. It's not a guarantee, but it's likely. Right. And so, you know, I feel like that's... Uh, th- there's some stuff that makes sense and some stuff that doesn't. It's almost like, well, look, we need to have the split up cliche. So how are we going to do that? How, and they thought like, oh, let's just do this, this myth. Yeah, it bugs and me. so it's moments like <laughs> that where I feel like, you know, you, you're operating on such a high level in other ways that it makes something like this really stand out. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but there are other things that I still really enjoy and I find very funny and I find very tragic. Um, and I still love Richard Jenkins and Bradley Whitford and, and it's just a, and it still deals in particularly disturbing uh, imagery at times. And I, and, and I do like, it's a film that just so much for me just begs to be seen almost purely on a thematic level, um, which I'm kind of okay with, but the rest of it needs to work as well. And I think it, I think it still does, but, um, 
I can also understand because I saw in the theater at the time and the people behind me did not care for it um, mm. because it was it mm-hmm. was marketed a certain way. And on one hand, part of me is like, well, come on, can't you just go with the flow? And part of me thought, yeah, but if you go in wanting something that takes this material somewhat seriously and you find something that is not that, um, yeah, I think I, I, I would be frustrated by that as well. And so I guess I could see that. So I saw it at a like midnight the Thursday night it came out. Oh, back that'd when, be fun. Yeah, it was, it, was, it was actually fun seeing it that way, even though I didn't love the movie. But um, I know we talked about this a little bit on the Harry Potter commentaries, which are available now. That's right. Um, uh, the first four Harry Potter movies, we talked about them all the way through. It took a million years, but um, uh, it actually only took 10 hours, and you can listen to all 10 hours for $10. That's right. Um, That's about a buck an hour, David. Yeah, you can find that on the website in the upper left-hand corner. Um Anyway, uh, or below the banner, I mm-hmm. left Anyway, we talked about on the commentaries. I don't know if we were talking about this or if it's all haze to you, but uh, how they don't do like that now. Thursday night before a movie comes out, they start doing oh, yeah, it's it like, like it's seven or yeah, eight. it's ridiculous. Come on, it was so much fun it has to, to cost you something. Yeah, exactly. Not just money. You it have was, to be tired the next day. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and there's something like. Because now, if you go into work Friday morning, there's a good chance that anyone in your office who's right. a fan of a big enough movie fan saw the thing last night and got enough sleep. Yeah. Whereas it used to be so much fun to go to show up at work Friday morning and be like, "You guys, I saw Harry Potter and the Half Blood Prince last night." Yeah. <laughs> you know that was it was fun. Not that I would spoil it for people. It was just fun to like be able to talk about people. You know, some people were anticipating people were like, "Oh, I, I, I can't wait to see it." Yeah. Like it was fun, and now it's easy and also uh from a in from a professional standpoint you know when you go to a a screening or something Mm -hmm. like that of a movie and they're like all right i've got a review on my website before friday yeah now it's gotta be anybody can do it yeah so now you gotta put it up uh yeah we gotta put it up before those exactly those come out now so now if i see a movie on monday i gotta fucking crank out a review pretty much that night or the night before okay sorry <laughs> who's got the time i mean i guess i do yeah but anyway uh so yeah i i still i still really like if not love cabin in the woods but it's it's a movie that i think and i think this is probably true of any movie that maybe prides itself on cleverness mm-hmm. the more you see it some stuff is really going to stand out and some stuff you'd be like hmm not that's not quite as clever as the rest of it. Um, I think it's just inevitable that that will happen. Uh, but yeah. I still I still enjoy it, and I still think the performances are fantastic. Yeah, yeah. I'm trying to I'm trying to think if we could do an episode on that, like movies that stay smart. Do you know what Ooh, I'm saying? Yeah. As opposed to something that like or get smarter. Uh, yeah, that's true. Like um, I'm less impressed by Usual Suspects than I used to be because it feels so reverse engineered. Sure. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Whereas, like, uh, Ocean's Eleven, say, I still, I love Ocean's Eleven. Mm-hmm. It's fun every, it's fun and smart and clever every time. Yeah. All right, we've got an episode. I um, like it. Okay, so let's move on to more Billy Jack, my favorite of the Billy Jack movies. Although, reading a lot of reviews and reading, because this was put up by Shout Factory, reading, like, the comments on the announcement. I love doing that to mm-hmm. see people saying like, Oh, is it going to have this? Is it going to have this? Yeah. Uh, apparently the trial of Billy Jack is largely considered the worst of them, which is crazy because it's the is best. That, it's, is that the fourth one or the third? That's one? the third one. Um, and the fourth one is Billy Jack goes to Washington, which we'll talk about later, which was like lost for a long time. Right. Or is um, that the trial. Um, Oh, well, um, 
I mean, we're not talking about Billy Jack goes to Washington now because I saw other stuff in between there. We'll okay. talk about that later. But yeah, um, there is a longer cut of Billy Jack goes to Washington than does not. Okay. It's not what's on this Blu-ray. It's not. I, I guess some of that footage exists and uh, includes um, a young Suzanne Summers. Hey, all right, <laughs> as like a party guest. I, it I've does seen the like. Feel right, I've it? seen the screenshot online. It's funny, um, but no. So trial of Billy Jack. I got. I hope no one was lost because the thing's three hours long. Oh boy, um, it has. The first hour probably has almost nothing to do with Billy Jack. Billy Jack's not even really in it. It's just sort of a an overview of all of Gene's beliefs and all of the terrible things that have happened in this country. The trial of Billy Jack is specifically inspired by Kent State and other shootings like okay. that. But like it's it, it builds up to a Kent State like massacre except for way like uh, for a movie that is so much about ideas and is almost documentary-ish for so long, yeah. it ends in so violently. Yeah. It is a fucking crazy massacre Just, at the end. They brought Sam back in the <laughs> Yeah, it might as well be. Um, but uh, the name of the movie has two meanings um, because the opening part sort of deals with the trial, like the fallout from the fact that he like killed people at the end of Billy Jack. Right. And so he actually goes to prison and there's like a four year time jump, um, for that. Uh, and then he comes back and, and, and the tensions between the town and, um, and the freedom school have gotten even worse to where the townspeople are like seriously harassing and, and the cops are seriously harassing these, these kids. Um, and, uh, Billy Jack starts to get pretty pissed, but then being Native American, even though they made up a tribe, by the way, um, which I guess, I guess if you're going to make up a heritage, you might, uh, maybe the best, the least offensive way to go about it is to make up a tribe. I guess anyway, so. Um, so then he goes on like a spiritual journey, which is like a trial where he like, Oh, okay. Paints himself red and goes off into the desert and like talks to a cobra. Um, and like, and then he comes out with this, renewed commitment to nonviolence. It doesn't hold up. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, like, Oh, so it's a pretty peaceful film. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's, it's so crazy. It just, it does seem like, uh, I've talked so much about my favorite kind of sequels, which are like, this one was a success. Now I get to do whatever I want. Yeah. And so, and like, that's led to things. Some of my favorite sequels like gremlins two and bill and Ted's bogus journey, which by the way, bill and Ted three is announced actually going to happen. Bill and Ted face some face the music. Is that exciting for you? I, absolutely. All right. I'm a big bill and Ted fan. I know, but it's, but Ed Solomon is coming back. Like they're coming back as writer. Um, that makes and it okay. you know, uh, Keanu and Alex, my buds, Keanu and Alex yeah. have been like, like in this, uh, you know, into this, this isn't like, they're not being drawn back because of the money. This is something they've been trying to do forever. Um, I just worry as I always do uh-huh. about nostalgia, but I could see it not. But really do you know the premise? I don't. Uh, okay. So the premise of the movie, cause they're obviously they're like 50 years old and they're Keanu yeah. Reeves and Alex Winter's age. They know from George Carlin having taken the future. They know that they, Wild Stallions, write music that changes the world. Okay. In the movie, it's now, they're 50 years old, and it hasn't happened yet. And so that's, like, the premise of the movie is they're, like, like running out of hope that, like, uh, uh, you know, we're up against the wall. Uh, it sounds really cool to That's me. Pretty great. Um, I like movies about aging. Uh, yeah. Uh, did you? And there was an Entertainment Weekly reunions <coughs> issue 
you know, they do those every year mm. with, um, uh, with, you know, Keanu and Alex and also the two writers. And apparently, so the, there's a thing in like, before they even got the parts just from auditioning together, Keanu Reeves and Alex would have became like joint at the hip, like best buds. Mm. And so there's a thing that, that you'll notice if you watch Alex excellent adventure that the writers wrote in where Bill and Ted pretty much enter every scene already mid conversation and leave still talking. And apparently that's the, the, that was the writers like, uh, um, viewing, uh, observing Keanu Reeves and Alex Winter's relationship. And that's just how they were. They were like best buds. They were constantly like in the middle of conversations. And so they wrote the characters that way. That's cool. Yeah. It's, it's very cool. So I've never seen bogus journey. Oh man. It's, it's a blast. Yeah. Yeah. They die. I've like right that. at the beginning. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. And then, uh, it's William Sadler, right? William Sadler a, plays death. Yeah. yeah. They have to go to heaven and hell. Um, <clears throat> and also in the modern world, their lives have been taken over by evil robot versions of themselves. Sure. Um, of which they call evil robot uses. Yeah. And they go to heaven and they meet, they realize that there is life on the planets and they all share the same heaven. So they meet like aliens and they come back to earth with essentially like, I guess a ghost alien named station. Okay. Wow. I it's so cool. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Trial of Billy Jack is, is like that because Billy Jack was a surprise hit. And so, Tom Laughlin got, I guess, a little bit more money and a little bit more final cut. Again, I mean, it's independent, so he probably had final cut of some in some way on all of these. And yeah, he made this three-hour movie that's like a rumination. That's it's a really, really angry movie. Yeah, um, but it's also full of hope. When, the, uh, but some stu- really stupid stuff too. Okay, when the hippies are sitting around talking, they're talking about serious stuff. They're like, "Wow, this is like." so much of what we're talking about today. Like this is really important, but then every once in a while, there's just something really stupid where they're like, Oh, let's invent a lie detector test. That's based not on pulse, but on voice. And then we'll play at the Watergate, like hearing tapes and figure out who's telling the truth and what the real story is. <laughs> it's so stupid. But and it would make me laugh every time I'd be like really into like, yeah, these ideals about, about yeah. love and like and acceptance and it's like that's just terrifying that <laughs> you like <laughs> you loony hippie. Um They're seed in the clouds. Man. Uh yeah, but uh, uh I'm really glad that um that Shot Factory put these these out, even though I guess there is some with trial and with the Jack goes to Washington, which we'll get to later, um they aren't necessarily the preferred versions, I guess. Um, I think it's different music for trial or something like that. Um, but basically like this was, I th- my understanding is they, they, these were the, the, the versions of the film they were given by the Laughlin estate, by Tom Laughlin's estate. He passed away in 2013. Uh, 20, yeah. Um, so I think these are the versions that he considered, uh, the final versions, even though people would like to see the extra 25 minutes or whatever of Washington, right. of Billy Jack goes to Washington, which we'll talk about later. All right. Second one for me. Um, speaking of going to Washington, I saw a documentary called RBG about oh, yes, Ruth yes. Bader Ginsburg. Um, and it does feel like, uh, I don't know. I, I think I gave it a decent review with the more I think about it, the more I'm annoyed by this movie. It's, <coughs> I read your review. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's jauntily made and it is inspirational, but it's designed as a piece of inspiration. It's designed as a piece of the hashtag resist and hashtag, you know, and, and the, and, and the rise of this, uh, what seems like a newer wave of feminism, which is great. I like those things, but 
this isn't a movie that is particularly interesting. I feel like I can't remember if I said this in my review or not. Um, but if, if, if young women watch this movie and are inspired to go into law, I think they'll probably end up being disappointed that it's not oh. the way it seems in the movie. Cause all they, they yeah. focus so much on the, um, more recent, you know, her, uh, being the, um, uh, the, the sort of the, the, the great dissenter, I think the, um, as the, as the court, uh, through the Bush and into Trump years, like got a little bit more, conservative she i think got a little bit more liberal than she was she was already i think thought of as one of the more liberal judges but she got more liberal and ended up being the writing the main dissenting uh right. thing and, and and those are the things that so much of the movie is focused on these like this the the these big speeches and not speeches the written yeah. things but she reads them uh and, and i just i i just feel like the actual Ruth Bader Ginsburg is someone who is not a leftist crusader. She's someone who believes in the law. She has her interpretation of it. Sure. That is a more liberal interpretation. Um, but she's also best friends with, uh, judge, um, Scalia, uh, Scalia yeah. the most, right. Yeah. Did, are, they, did they show that footage of the two of them on an elephant uh, or the, the picture? Yes. They showed the picture okay. of them, but also it's the cutest thing ever. Um, they also are like one of the things they have in common is they're both enormous opera fans. They go to the opera together. That's cool. And they were both in an opera. What? So there was uh, at the whatever big stage they did a an opera that uh, had a couple of speaking parts, which mm-hmm. most operas don't. Everything is sung through. Yeah. Um, but so for one night, for opening night, uh, Judge Ginsburg and Judge Scalia played roles, and so you, they show the footage of her on stage, and they show both in the backstage in their like costumes. Well, he and looks it, like he should have <laughs> right. been on on the stage. Um, but I feel like the movie isn't interested in the philosophy of law it's interested in you came to this movie because you are you are a part of the demographic that the ruth Bader ginsburg as a meme represents rbg like, <laughs> yeah just yeah. if you know what that means like right. oh yeah here we go High which five. she likes and then good for her you know sure. uh, that she like likes the t-shirts and and yeah. stuff wouldn't you uh, yeah yeah uh but i would say uh, I did say this in the review. I know if the movie serves any purpose that could actually be, I think edifying for people is it's a great portrait of a marriage between two people yeah. who truly respect one another as equals in every way. Yeah. Um, it's, it's just to see how and not only as equals, but how they are parts of a whole because her husband, who's a very successful like um, uh, tax attorney on his own in New York City, uh, like I think one I can't remember who says it. One one person says one of the best tax attorneys in New York City, and that is saying something. <laughs> um, uh, it, he was the one who lobbied Bill Clinton, like and other people, like who got out there and 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 sort of said my wife should be a justice because as as fierce as she is as a as a as a lawyer and as a judge and stuff she's she had no taste for self promotion mm-hmm. and she wasn't really on the radar until he you know stepped up and uh you see you meet all their kids who are all like super brilliant people probably because because of their parentage yeah. um and also you see how like i said they complement <laughs> each other um and and he would not only like 
fight for her, but also because she's a workaholic, he, he would make sure that she slept and ate. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, uh, it's a great portrait of a marriage, that part of the movie. There's but, definitely a movie in there with a probably best actress and best supporting actor nomination. Yeah, that would be cool. Right? Yeah. Um, yeah, I would like to get, see that. Uh, get Linda Hunt in there. Um, but I feel like even though I, because I am generally politically aligned with what the makers of this documentary feel, I, it was stirring to watch the movie, but I also felt like manipulated. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like anytime I admittedly, there aren't that many movies that play that much into like my right leaning politics, Uh but there's a lot of articles and internet videos and stuff. And anytime I feel like it's playing to that, in me, uh-huh. my first thought was like, "All right," and then I thought, "Hang on, yeah, that's hang on, yeah." I don't like it's. It's something that I've kind of learned specifically because of Christian film, because Christian film is maybe first and foremost pandering, right? Uh, yeah, and so it's just like I. This is not. That's not the same as it being good. Um, it's one of the things I didn't like about Hugo, which pandered to me as a film fan. Oh right, um, yeah. as you know, you, you never. Saw I never Hugo. saw it, but yeah, I but know yeah. that's your yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm generally skeptical of things that seem overly built for me. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right, so that's my two movies. We can we can't we've been a way too okay. long on yeah, four yeah. movies. Okay, uh, well, don't worry, we'll rush through this one. I watched Jurassic Park again. Yes, this is while I was sick. Um, and yeah, and I don't have much much to say. It. I I I feel like I watched it. Oh yeah, because I was doing I was doing a class presentation on it uh, a few months ago, and so you know I haven't. My opinion hasn't changed in the dozens of times I've seen it mm-hmm. uh, since I first since opening day in 1993. Um, wow. but twenty five years ago. Yeah, I know it's crazy, but uh, you know, I yeah, I say my opinion hasn't changed. As you know, I was never a huge fan of Jurassic Park as I got older. Mm-hmm. I think I'm coming around. Uh, the more I watch it, the more I appreciate its structure. And that it's trying to do a very specific thing. There are things that I cited as negatives for a long time. Specifically, it, it was it, it seemed so nineties in in like costuming. <laughs> uh, do you know what I mean? Like you got your blue, pink, tan, black, white. Like every character is a color. Uh, I'm also reminded just. Um the first shot right at the very beginning we see the lawyer on the raft yeah the way his suit is cut like <laughs> yeah. because we've lived through the like the Tom Ford 2000s where everything is like a shrunken silhouette on men yes. now the way that he's like practically wearing hammer pants like version of a suit <laughs> cracks me up because yes. it's a full body shot nice angular shoulders <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. Um, and I think we as a, in terms of passion we are maybe getting back to things being a little fuller cut but mm-hmm. it does crack me up because like I said it's a full body shot you see the entire suit and there's yeah. so much of it <laughs> And he looks a very specific type of stylish. Uh-huh. Um, and so, but that's, that's, and on one hand, I, I look at it, at it as like a relic of its time in certain regards, but I also recognize that it, I think it's just, it's a film that deals in bigness, in big characters, not just that suit. Just that suit. Oh my, everything, uh, big characters talking about big ideas being eaten by big dinosaurs. Um, and it's just, it, it, there is nothing subtle about the movie and that's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, especially because it's Spielberg. Who well, they spared no expense. 
I've heard that. I don't remember where from. I think Dennis Nedry says it. <laughs> um, and so I think as, as a, a product of pure spectacle, I think I respect it a lot more now than I used to because I think as, I, as I've gotten older... This is this was a big part of my talk at the uh, International Christian Film Festival, where I was talking about the idea of style and substance, not style versus substance, because style will often inform substance, and we usually think of it the other way. But film is style, art is style, mm-hmm. and if mm-hmm. you do it wrong, not wrong, but like if you're if you don't pay attention to the style and you only want to do substance, well, guess what? You're probably you might actually wind up completely undercutting what you're yeah. trying to do because you didn't do it the right way. Um, I, I lead off my talk with that uh, clip from uh, that sketch from Kids in the Hall with the guy Dave Foley is the guy who uh, has a speech impediment that causes him to sound super sarcastic oh, yeah. all the time. <laughs> you know how you talk is very yeah. very important to what you say, and so. Um, <clears throat> So yeah, uh, so as I was younger, I think I, I just did not. In the same way that we, that as you and I have gotten older, the concept of melodrama is it's not a dirty word. Spectacle is not a dirty mm-hmm. word for me anymore, and I think that's Jurassic Park. It is spectacle. It is big on in every sense of the word, and I think I have uh, a much deeper appreciation for it now. Okay, so uh, and then I watched a documentary called Gilbert. Is about, it about Gilbert Godfrey? About Gilbert Godfrey. Um, and it's really, really interesting. It's it's not that, you know, it's not what, it's not breaking any ground as far as its format or structure. Uh, it's just, it's interesting to see him in everyday life. Uh, much is played, played up about the Gilbert character versus the real guy. Um and his voice isn't quite so screechy, and his, he does actually open his eyes from time to time. Um, <laughs> but the thing is, he still acknowledges how surprised he is at the nature of his life, specifically that he is married and has two children now as he's gotten, you know, and he's pretty old at this point. I think he's well into his 60s, and he didn't expect to be a father, you know, a, a fairly new father in, in his late 50s. Uh, and so, but you find out so much about him. You find out what an astonishing cheapskate he is. Uh, (laughs) you see that he rides buses. I don't mean city buses. Like if he has a gig, he will take his Greyhound, a Greyhound bus with a, a suitcase full of his merch that he will then sell at a table after his gig, Gilbert Godfrey, wow. uh, and people. And it's funny because you see him sitting at the bus stop, like waiting uh, at the bus station, waiting, and you see everyone just kind of looking, like, "What the hell? Like, <laughs> why is he here?" Um, and so, oh, but wow, then you'll also so he'll sell his merch, and then he will come back home with a suitcase full of hotel things, uh, <laughs> which he then keeps in a big bin under his bed and his wife goes through and says he got this from a hotel and it's like 20 years ago it's, <laughs> it's astonishing he has an entire bin of like hotel slippers and so like that's hilarious but you also wow. find out things about you know when he lost his Aflac um, right. uh, commercial gig because of his uh, tsunami jokes yeah uh, and of course, they talk to other comedians, people that know him, people that simply admire him, David Tell, Billy, uh, uh, sorry, Bill Burr. Um, 
and it's just a really it's just very interesting it's exactly the kind of documentary you would want in that it does explore him I think maybe it an argument could be made that it doesn't go quite deep enough mm-hmm. to figure to try to figure out why he does what he does but it goes fairly deep and at the same time I think when somebody is a performer like that, I don't know how deep they're going to let you go. Um, but you do find out stuff about his family. His his sister is a fascinating figure uh, who is a uh, professional photographer and incredibly talented. Um, and uh, <clears throat> excuse me. And so I just think it's it's definitely worth watching. I'm glad that I saw it and you know there have been so many documentaries in the last 15 20 years about stand-up comedy and stand-up comedians that you it feels different than those where it's not merely saying like oh my gosh isn't this guy great and oh the life of a comedian it's so it's so noble in its own way and it's it's more specific to him and it almost finds the fact that he is a comedian to be an interesting quirk about a guy who is already pretty quirky. Did you ever see that documentary Life Animated? No, I didn't. But do you know what it's about? Yes. Um, so for the listeners, there was a, basically a kid who um, seemed talked and was seemed like a pretty normal kid till he was two or three, and he's autistic, and then he just like one day stopped talking and didn't talk for years. And the way that his dad finally got him to talk again was because he was obsessed with Disney movies, mm-hmm. his dad started being Iago, doing the Iago puppet. And so now the kid's like in uh, college. He might have even, by now he's probably graduated from college um, and doing great, and he and Gilbert Gottfried are like kind of friends now oh. like this guy Gilbert Godfrey like showed up you know knows him found out about his story yeah. so yeah it's very very endearing incidentally Gilbert Godfrey's kids are the cutest kids you've ever seen I'm a sucker <laughs> for like kids and like little kids in glasses uh-huh. and his son has, wears glasses he's like probably six or seven and his son wears glasses and it's just like look here's the thing I'm sorry, Gilbert Godfrey. I'm going to kidnap your son. He's mine now <laughs> because he's so cute. Uh, all right. So I watched a movie that um, comes out in a couple of weeks that I'm so excited about. I was so excited to see it, and it did not disappoint. Paul Schrader's new movie, First Reformed. Nice. Um, this is a movie in which uh, Ethan Hawke, already a check in, in my book, you know, a plus in my book. I've, be- I've become a... I become a bigger Ethan Hawke fan the older he gets. Does that make sense? <laughs> you know, like he was yes, like this absolutely. '90s heartthrob, and he's good in like Before Sunrise and Dead Poet Society. Um, I mean, no one's good in Reality Bites. It's a terrible movie. Um, <laughs> but uh, uh, Hamlet. Uh, uh, you know, I never saw Hamlet, but I think there's something that started. It started for me with Before Sunset, where mm-hmm. I feel where I realized like he came into his own as he sort of became middle-aged essentially um and now like ethan hawk is on the short list of actors who are enough to get me excited about a movie um and so this is already a paul schrader movie now it's an ethan hawk movie ethan hawk plays a minister at a very small historic upstate new york small town church um that um is has a very tiny congregation is mostly kept in business more as a museum than as a church even though it's still he's the minister and there's still services and it's owned and operated by a nearby mega church Mm -hmm. uh, of which cedric the entertainer i'm sorry cedric kyles um (laughs) is the is the pastor uh and things kick off i don't want to give too much away and also don't watch the trailer if you've have you have you watched the trailer i have not i would say don't because it gives away more than i would like okay um but things kick off when one of his few congregants um 
played by Amanda Seyfried, another plus for me. I've been an Amanda Seyfried fan. Uh, I mean, I guess kind of since Mean Girls, but really probably since Big Love is, I think, when I really uh, um, started to realize how, how good she is. So Amanda Seyfried is one of the congregants. She's pregnant. She comes to him. She says, can you come over and talk to my husband? He's an environmental activist, and he wants me to have an abortion because he thinks it's wrong to bring a child into the world now, hmm. given what we're facing in terms of... Uh, climate change uh that's where things start um and it ends up becoming uh a a movie that is something that i think of as i guess it's it's important to me this idea that um and i think paul schrader Schrader is clearly very interested in religion even though he is an atheist but he's very interested in the in the the I think the the devotion and in how that you know I, I think maybe I'm projecting my own point of view uh, as an atheist, but I think Paul, I get the I, I get the idea that Paul Schrader thinks that if you devote devote your entire life to your religion and then you die and nothing happens, it doesn't mean you wasted your life. That's that's still that was still important to how you lived, you know, being dedicated to something Mm -hmm. and being a part of something was important. And so I think he, he, um, he explores that in ways that he, uh, hasn't before. Um, he also, the movie, again, I don't want to give too much away. The movie has way more in common with taxi driver than you would think, given the, the plot description. I can see um, it. so he's kind of revisiting some of those, but it also has like a magical realist bent to Ooh. it. Um, and, uh, yeah, I really don't want to give too much of the movie away. It's, you really need to see Adam resurrected. I know uh, I, I should. It, yeah. Yeah. No, there's some magical realism is there, okay. in there as well. Okay. Like, well, I saw dominion, the, right, the, right. the, the, the exorcist prequel that never got theatrically released. Yeah. Uh, which I liked. Um, and that obviously has, I wouldn't call it magical realism. It has supernatural stuff in it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So he's gone down that path, I guess, as he's gotten older, which is great. Um, uh, and yeah, I, I feel like I'm dancing around the movie. I don't want, cause I don't want to talk too much about it, but, um, it, it really is a movie about, I guess, belief mm-hmm. because you've got obviously multiple characters who are, uh, who are devout Christians. Um, I mean, to see Ethan Hawke, yeah. such as the entertainer. There's also, I forget her name, but the, the woman who's like the chief administrator at the mega church who has a sort of friendship, um, and potentially is romantically interested in Ethan Hawke. Um, well, who wouldn't be, <laughs> but then he's also got this past of, I'll give you a little bit of his backstory. He was divorced. He's divorced. He, um, was his grandfather, his father, him were all in the military. He was a military an army chaplain. Mm-hmm. he, encouraged his son against his wife's wishes, wife's wishes encouraged his son to join the military and his son was killed in Iraq Oof. and that led to their their splitting up and him leaving he left the army and became a minister at this at this church so and then of course you've got the character who's the who's the dedicated environmental activist right. you've got all these different levels of belief and the movie i keep forgetting that the character's not uh catholic because um I'm not, I'm not sure what it doesn't, it isn't clear what, uh, what denomination is supposed to be. The, he wears a, you know, a black 
frock t- coat mm. type of thing, but I guess that a lot of people did with the right. with the collar. Um, uh, and I forgot where I was I was going with that, but um, th- there is something Catholic about the about where it goes and, and the, um, the 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 form that his that these devotions take. You know, you yeah. think about. Um, Catholics, you know, like self-flagellation being like a uh, a, a Catholic old Catholic thing. Right. Probably, there probably still people who do that. Um, uh, I mean, and, you know, some and, of us do it uh, emotionally. <laughs> and I wouldn't say that. I'm not going to say there's literal self-flagellation, but that is a part of. Uh, it really does seem to be about believing in something and devoting everything of yourself to that thing. Yeah. Um, where uh, and and making that choice noble but also making it difficult to just live mm. whereas you get the impression that Cedric the Inter- sorry Cedric Kyle's character is no uh no Are less devout he's not entertaining in this film <laughs> no he actually is quite okay. entertaining he's no less devout but he is much more a normal person because yeah. he's a pastor who also is running a business right and he's sort of like he seems much more able to function whereas everyone else in the movie is so dedicated to the thing that they've dedicated themselves to that it is all consuming. Yeah. Uh, really, really fascinating movie. Also, uh, here's another episode idea, uh, or maybe an article for the, that I should write for the website. Uh, one, three, three aspect ratio, which has become such a thing in the past, like 10 years. I feel like, and maybe this is just recency bias, but I feel like fish tank, like Andrea Arnold, because yeah, Andrea yeah. Arnold only shoots in one three three. Fish Tank, Wuthering Heights, yeah. American Honey. Am I missing one? Anyway, they're all one three three, and it just seems like this is a thing that we're seeing more of. Um, and I wonder if it's, it's just cheaper. <laughs> no, it's not. I mean, but at this point, I think because of the way the movies are shot, you can shoot literally any aspect ratio you want. You could shoot four to one yeah. if you wanted, like that old Napoleon movie, the only movie that was ever made in four to one. Yeah. Um, uh, and I, I guess it just seems like maybe you've got a generation of filmmakers who grew up watching things on VHS. Sure. Do you know what I'm saying? Maybe yeah, yeah. like you've also got the fact that TVs aren't four by three anymore. So it doesn't seem, it doesn't have that stigma to it. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? That's true. Um, and, and yeah, but you like, you had but Paul a Schrader ghost or Paul Schrader. You know, he's, yeah, I don't know what, uh, I don't know why, but he, it looks great. The movie looks great. Um, but yeah, we had a ghost story last year. There's there's a there's a bunch of them. There's yeah, there's other stuff uh, coming out of some um, movie, movie played at Sundance. Claire's Ghost, I think, is a one three three. Two ghost movies. Anyway, um, uh, anyway, I've talked too much about First Reformed. Now I'm going to go on to Billy Jack Goes to Washington. Okay. I won't spend long on it. In case you don't know, you might know. Listeners don't know. It's not just a clever name. It is literally a remake of Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. I do know that. Like yes. it is the you know with a credit to the original screenwriter and everything. It is the exact same story, and it is so fucking dull and hmm. so stupid, and seems to have lost the passion. For one thing, Gene fights in this movie, which is against like that's against the whole thing. Um, there's a scene where. <coughs> I can't believe that this is I talked about all the stuff that holds up surprisingly well it is relevant today mm-hmm. here's something that I can't even imagine that he didn't get shit for at the time he would have gotten lambasted for putting this in a movie today so the lobbyist who is um um 
who basically the, his uh, his foe in the movie mm-hmm. um Billy, because Billy Jack becomes a senator right which despite his murder conviction <laughs> Um, which is like mentioned once at the beginning. And then the governor of the state is like, I had it expunged because the people wanted to run. And then it's never mentioned again. Like even as the lobbyist starts like uh, turning other senators against him, no one uses the fact that he served time for murder (laughs) as, uh, uh, as like, no, it's wiped from the record. I guess we can't talk about it. It, I mean, it was expunged. It's it's uh, really bad form Uh, to bring up the guy's murder conviction. Yeah. Uh, but no, there's a part. So the lobby lobbyist, to scare him sends a a group of thugs and I use the term thugs uh, to harass Jean and the other like girls who came from the um, uh, from the freedom school to Washington with him and they're all black men and Billy Jack has a like basically chastises them for allowing the man to use them <laughs> so Billy Jack, Tom Laughlin, uh, all white, oh yeah, playing Billy Jack, half white, half Native American, is lecturing a group of black men on uh, <laughs> on selling out to the man. Right. It is, I couldn't believe it. Which is now it is now worth bringing up that uh, as much as I uh, the only one I've seen is Billy Jack, uh, which I, again I respected more than I thought I was going to, and I don't want to speak ill of the dead. I imagine talking to Tom Laughlin would be exhausting. Like, can you imagine he, I mean, I can't like that's, that was what you just described as somebody who is probably a bit Uh self-satisfied and shockingly not self-aware. Yeah. And I know it's the time. And so it's like, playing something that playing not your race is uh, more okay but still it's uh yeah it's crazy to think about but i still respect his passion sure um yeah but uh unfortunately he went on, on a bad note and then there's another there's a fifth it doesn't the, exist that's the one i'm thinking of return of billy jack is the right. one that was lost basically and maybe he wasn't even finished uh yeah but it was if, if you read about return to billy jack which he started shooting in the 1980s and was still like during the george w bush presidency was still like i'm gonna finish this movie and actually had a plan to cut in actual George W. Bush to like make it look like Billy Jack was debating with George W. Bush about like the war in Iraq. It's crazy. He had some crazy ideas and I do wish that movie had been made just so I could see it. Uh, Well, yeah. Uh, Yeah. But apparently there's like an hour of footage uh, of the return of Billy Jack, um, yeah. that exists. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's never, it was never completed, never released. All yeah, right. Lo- looking at the IMDb page for Billy Jack goes to Washington, two hours and 35 minutes, by the way. I think that's the, I think the version on the Blu-ray is only like two hours and five minutes. Or okay. something. I think that's, that's the one with the Suzanne Summers footage. Got it. It's just, it's, it's just, just half more. an hour of Suzanne Summers. <laughs> um, just doing improv, but it's like a one woman show. Um, yeah, it's I, I when I looked it up I was astonished to see that like oh wait a minute there's a character Senator Joseph Payne. Mm-hmm. Like so this is a yeah, I was shocked that this is a full on just remake but with Billy Jack instead of Mr. Smith and uh, E.G. Marshall plays yeah. Joseph Payne which I'd say is about right. He even has the same facial structure as Claude Rains. Right? Um, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. But, okay. All right. One for you now, right? 
Are we at one? Yes, we're at one now. Okay, this is another rewatch. Sorry, everybody. It's Jurassic World. Uh, okay. Because at this point, when I watch one, I kind of have to watch the other, partially because I'm finally at long last working on that video essay about the two of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you still have not seen it, correct? No. I've never even seen Jurassic Park 3. You're, you're fine. <laughs> um, and yeah, it, it now, so I was talking about this with uh, Cabin in the Woods, that... <clears throat> It's a film that I certainly enjoy on a thematic level, but Cabin in the Woods, I think, has enough other things, but the more I see it, the more I notice, you know, little cracks here and there. Jurassic World is just bad. It is a bad movie that I love thematically. I think I think what it's trying to do, it accomplishes astonishingly from a thematic standpoint. From a narrative standpoint, it is a mess. It is tonally all over the place. It creates characters that, while I'm watching them, you know, you've got like Irfan Khan in there. You've Mm. got Vincent D'Onofrio. Others. I feel like there was... Jimmy Buffett? What was that? Jimmy Jimmy Buffett, Buffett, (laughs) yes. He's delightful. Um, All the performances are are, are fine uh, and even good uh, at times. But what's fascinating is there comes a moment like there notable characters die and when they die, their death has no impact on me one way or another, whether I view them positively or negatively. They have no impact whatsoever. And then when they're gone, it, whether they're off screen or they are now dead, I don't remember them. <laughs> I don't notice them. Uh, they've made again no imprint on me as opposed to Jurassic Park which which, which Samuel L. Jackson died but his character makes an impression hold on to your butts and with the cigarette and all that Uh, Dennis Nedry you know Robert Muldoon they have you know clever girl they've got uh, the spit in the face you know the lawyer gets eaten uh, off the it's like these are memorable deaths of memorable albeit two dimensional Characters, whereas, and yes, the characters in Jurassic World are two dimensional, but they're two dimensional in a very specific way. And it's just that, you know, there are moments of genuine suspense and there, and the special effects are really good. You know, it's still effective in certain ways, but I mean, <clears throat> I do think that thematically it's a film all about exploring itself and just the, the monster that modern Hollywood makes as a function of focus groups as a fun and just the soullessness of modern franchise filmmaking mm-hmm. and it's like all right just because you're exploring it doesn't mean you're not that and you are uh and so jurassic world again it's 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 insanely watchable and i have watched it multiple times and i'm fascinated at what it is trying to do and what it is succeeding at thematically it is a narrative catastrophe uh i'm gonna i'm now gonna go beyond mess it is a narrative catastrophe all right um i watched uh teen wolf 2 that's teen wolf also um now that is a sequel that really just captures it all here's what i was thinking like i think teen wolf 2 because michael j fox isn't back it's jason bateman jason bateman's film debut by the way which i didn't realize because he'd been on He'd been on TV forever by oh, that the point. Oh, the Hogan family. He was on that, right? Yeah, and uh, something else. Uh, oh, um, Little House on the Prairie, which, oh, which right. he was on before that. Um, 
so it's interesting to me that this was his film debut. Uh, so I think because Michael Jackson doesn't come back because they, uh, so Jason Bateman is playing his cousin and because they recast styles, I guess it, it has the feeling of like, Oh, this is just a cheap knockoff of the first movie. But the first movie is really stupid. Yeah. So it's, it didn't have that far to fall. Yeah. So yeah, Teen Wolf two is stupid, but it's not that much stupid, right? Less stupid. I mean, it's pretty much this carrying on the legacy. (laughs) Yeah. It's pretty much the same story, except that, um, Jason Maven's character is in college and he boxes Mm -hmm. or actually he doesn't box. Basically he gets a boxing scholarship uh, because they think he's good at sports because his cousin is Michael J. Fox. Fox's character and so he's a scientist he wants to be a scientist but they put him on the he's like but I the coach is like yeah you do the thing like your cousin you turn into a wolf or whatever he's like but I'm not a wolf and then of course it turns out he is um wow uh and then he becomes a jerk of course uh all, you know and pines after the popular girls all while the uh absolutely gorgeous quote-unquote nerdy girl (laughs) is being ignored uh yeah it's the exact same story the only people they were able to get back were uh teen wolf's dad Mm -hmm. uh who of course is this teen teen wolf's who's uncle yeah uh and then the character the actor um who played the character chubby yes he's and he also, for some reason, he's going to this college and also for some reason has switched to boxing because he was on the basketball team in the first one. But I don't know what they were. I like they yeah, had some sort no of deal. What. They got some sort of deal with Everlast on gloves or whatever. And they're like, yeah. let's make this a boxing movie. And no offense to the character Chubby. Uh-huh. Pretty sure he doesn't really belong on any of those teams. Uh, I feel like his parents must have given the school a lot of money. Uh-huh. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, all right. And then, uh, <laughs> it's, it, oh. you have more to say about Teen Wolf two as much as anyone should. It, it is astonishing, <laughs> which, is, which is less than we right. said. So <laughs> it's just, it's so fascinating. Like I watched both of these movies growing up and I enjoyed them, I guess. I, yeah, I had never I seen Teen Wolf two. I watched yeah. Teen Wolf all the time growing up, but as a kid, it was just like, I got the original. Why do I need the? Uh, Have you watched the series? I hear uh, it's good. Oh, the oh the new. I thought you meant the animated series when we were oh, kids. So, sorry, we were kids. No, no. Um, I've seen a, a couple episodes of the, of the series. <laughs> yeah, it's, obviously it's a uh, it's more Buffy inspired. Sure, and sure. Like it's more supernatural and it's serious. Yeah, and I, I guess mean, it's I... actually about them being wolves and other animals, whereas the Teen Wolf movies are sports movies. <laughs> yeah that happened to have like the werewolf is just a, a, a trick that they pull to be better at sports. Yeah. All right. Um, and then, uh, another movie that was so surprising to me that I really liked, even though apparently I'm in the minority, uh, because I didn't see Geostorm last year. Okay. I am not familiar with Dean, <coughs> Dean Devlin as a director of films. Okay. So I didn't have any expectations going into bad Samaritan, but I really dug it. Yeah. You are in the minority. Yeah. It's got a um, very low rating. Uh, yeah, and I understand why. I mean, it feels kind of, it's not especially stylish. Oh, even then, I think it's more stylish than a lot of the reviews are saying it's a flat, ugly aesthetic. I don't think so. I think it sort of has a, not as good as these things, but it has this sort of like 80s Tony Scott, Adrian Line type of feel mm-hmm. to the way that it's like 
gray but shiny at the same time okay. i actually I, I i liked it um again i'm not saying it's as good as any tony scott or adrian line movies i mean it's probably better than nine and a half weeks which is not a good movie but it's a good looking movie okay. um did you ever see nine and a half no. weeks yeah you don't need to see nine and a half weeks um but even flash dance i think is a stupid movie that looks cool okay. um i didn't see that one either but adrian line of course also made jacob's ladder and uh <laughs> unfaithful yeah which movie is fatal attraction right um which i've never seen fatal attraction wait okay yes i have seen fatal attraction i've never seen basic instinct right i get them confused i have seen fatal attraction it's stupid um glenn close is great of course but anyway but bad samaritan is uh i think it's so the premise if you don't know uh is a sort of small low small time hood who he and his friend run a scam where they're valets at a fancy restaurant and then while people rich people are they know they're not at home yeah they put you know type home into their gps go and rob them of shit they won't notice oh you know so that's like their little scam. It's a good, it's a good scam. <laughs> it's immoral. Well, yeah. <laughs> uh, so at one point, so one time this guy, go, he goes, uh, David Tennant shows up as a real jerk. Um, the, our main guy, um, played by an actor named Robert Sheehan, um, goes to rob his house and finds a woman bound and gagged in one of the rooms um and he's not able to save her at the moment because the guy's coming home and so it turns in and then so he needs to try and save her and then david Tennant finds out that this guy found out so it becomes this like cat and mouse game and i think the movie's smart in that it never has him do it never has the main guy do the dumb thing like right um the i mean the, the premise is based on him being a smart kid if a bit of a fuck up um but david Tennant being smarter uh I also think not enough has been said. I said in my review, but I feel like not enough has been said. You know, you watch so many movies, like I've got another movie I'll be talking about later today that I loved, um, but that ostensibly takes place now, but has no smartphones, you yeah. know, like there's so many movies that just like write around it or, or ignore it. Yeah. You know, this is a movie in which it is like the fact that everyone has cell phones or can have a house connected to your, an app and you can remotely turn on lights or start the oven or things like that. You know, these are all, all become plot points. You know, Hmm. the fact that you can have cameras in your house and while you're somewhere else, you can look at the cameras like, um, and even, I mean, this is obviously GPS is on new, but even the whole initial premise that he, uses gps to rob people yeah like this is a movie that is very much aware of the now in terms of technology i really enjoyed that i also i didn't mention robert sheen's character is irish and is um repeatedly threatened with deportation yeah and so the fact that it's basically a movie about an immigrant going up against a an evil rich guy who has gotten away with being evil for his entire life because he's rich i think feels very uh very 2018 um so when are they gonna catch a break (laughs) yeah exactly um (laughs) uh, i just i'm not gonna talk about the podcast but i uh just um rewatched the uh, consensus greatest Ar- Archer episode of all time last night, placebo effect, which is the better known as rampage. Oh yes. Okay. Uh, and it has the whole thing about, cause it's the Irish mob yeah. and the Irish mobster is like racist to the Latino janitors <laughs> yeah. and Archer gives them like a history lesson <laughs> about anti Irish sentiment <laughs> in the U S such a, that's, that's such a great episode. Uh, all right. Those are my two. What's next for you? Okay. Uh, 
Speaking of uh, Hulu documentaries, not that Gilbert was that, but uh, it was purchased by Hulu and uh, featured there. Uh, I watched Too Funny to Fail, Hmm. which is about the Dana Carvey show uh, of the 1990s, which I remember... That was. Did you watch the Dana Carvey show at the time? No, it didn't last very long. It was like eight weeks. Um, It was a big deal for me and my friends. Like, Hmm. I remember we would quote stuff uh, that years later I didn't remember. That's what it was from. Hmm. Um, You know, as I was uh, as I was researching that uh, that Nixon Kennedy paper that I was writing a few weeks ago. I, re- I remember there being a sketch from some show in the 90s, and the sketch was a, a trail, a fake trailer called Nixon's, and it was basically very, at the time, you know, Anthony Hopkins, but Bo Bridges had played him on TV, and there are others, and basically it was, it was a trailer in which all of these portrayals were in one movie. Hmm. And so they would all speak at once, but like one with a notably uh, British accent trying right. to do American, and then Bo Bridges it was a, played by a, a very lo- a bigger actor. Uh-huh. And, um, <laughs> and so I remember, and I had no idea what it was from, and it was from the Dana Carvey show, uh, <clears throat> and so, and it's the it's the show that gave arguably the start you know their start to Steve Carell Stephen Colbert Mm -hmm. um, various others I mean um, Charlie Kaufman wrote on the show and it was uh, I mean it was there was a lot of talent and they interviewed basically uh, everybody I mean Robert Smigel basically started on that show and and it really it's it's interesting Um, in many ways it's it's like any other comedy documentary, but it's about a very specific thing that very few people remember, but they know a lot about the effects of it. Louis C.K. got started on that show um, uh, as a writer. And, And when you see what they're trying to do and that ABC had no idea what to expect... Um, because, and it also winds up being an interesting film about the entertainment industry, about studios, about networks, uh, because Dana Carvey left Saturday Night Live and he was the star of it. Um, Mm -hmm. and ABC, and he wanted to do a sketch comedy show and ABC snatched him up and snatched him up and they're like, Oh my gosh, we're going to get all of these amazing Dana Carvey characters like the church lady. And I don't think they were going to do Garth cause obviously you need Wayne, but there are, there are others and I can't think of what they are, but anyway, um, Oh, and just we'll get him doing George W. Bu- uh, sure, sorry, yeah. George H W Bush. Um, and he clearly was not interested in that. He wanted to do something different. Yeah. And so he brought a very kids in the hall type mentality, which for 8 p.m. Uh-huh. Uh, on ABC, follow no sorry 8:30 following Home Improvement uh, was not what people were interested <laughs> in. Uh, and but they have, uh, <clears throat> and it's fun to watch some of these sketches because again they are sketches that I have a I have a great memory for and just just did not at all remember what they're from there was germans who say nice things i'm sure you've do you remember that one no where it's it's 
Dana Carvey and Steve Carell, and they're just standing next to each other, and they look like kind of stereotypical Germans, and they just shout in German accents, but uh-huh. they say nice things. And one like, it was a pleasure babysitting Kevin. Uh, and then one of them, it's Steve Carell doing that super loud thing that uh-huh. he does. And, uh, and he goes, you are not getting older. You are getting better. <laughs> and, it's, and it's hilarious. And so it was, a lo- it's a lot of fun to look back and realize how big of a role that was for, m- for me, uh, as a comedy fan at the time. Uh, but again, it's, it's interesting to see all this other stuff. Are the actual episodes available on Hulu? Uh, no, they're not available really anywhere, which That's is why, sh- which is why seeing so many of these sketches on the thing, you can see sketches here and there on like yeah. YouTube. Uh, but the quality isn't that good, but, uh, yeah, it's, it was, it's interesting and I'm very, uh, it's, I mean, it's a trifle in many mm-hmm. ways, but when you're interested in comedy and you're interested in the entertainment industry and, 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 uh, television, I think it's, it's definitely worth a watch and All it's right. funny cause it's also funny people talking. So, All right. Um, I'll talk about this one real quick. I watched 1983's Mr. Mom, which okay. I feel like is a movie that has a, a lot of people like it, right? Yeah, it's really probably, stupid. Yeah, I, I read your review of it. It's crazy to me that this is a movie that was made in my lifetime, barely. But in, it came out, or at least came out. It was probably actually might have been made like production might have been before I was born. Yeah, but it came out after I was born, and it feel like it feels like it's from like the nineteen fifties or sixties. It feels yeah. like um, it seems it feels like, like the, the seven the year 60s. itch. Yeah, yeah. Um, that has this just these the idea of like gender roles in a marriage are so like I don't rec- I don't I don't even recognize them. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And so so much of the comedy comes from like he can't figure out how the washing machine works. He doesn't know where to go in a supermarket. Yeah. It's like what the fuck <laughs> like yeah. this doesn't seem uh how is that possible? Do you know what I mean? How is it possible in 83? That's the issue. If they had made it in the 60s when mm-hmm. the idea of women's or even the seventies early to mid, um, mm-hmm. when the idea of women's lib and, uh, and like women going into the workplace and it's kind of, and it was also something of a depression. So maybe, uh, or certainly a recession. And so maybe men were getting laid off a bit more, uh, and had to right. stay at home. That makes more sense. And I know that sometimes Hollywood is a, is a few years behind right. culture, yeah. But I feel like 83 is way behind. Yeah. And I've never seen Mr. Mom. Yeah. Partially because it sounded like such, I feel like I, by the time I was interested in it to the degree that anybody can be, I think I had outgrown. I was like, that doesn't sound good to me at all. I like Michael Keaton, but, uh, and Terry Gar, right? Yeah. I I love Terry Gar. Um, I was going to say I'll be talking about the Terry Carr movie, but no, no, that was at TCM Fest. Um, you can listen to yeah. the TCM Fest episode. Yeah, get that out of here. Talk about T- Terry Gar. Um, but I, the one thing I will say is that I do think the movie eventually does end up like it's about him feeling insecure in this quote unquote woman's role, but the movie itself doesn't look down on domestic work. Sure. Well, so I think that's that's a good thing that it gets to a place where it's like, no, he yeah. should be proud to be a dad and to be able to cook and clean. Like, there's nothing wrong with that. This movie is four years after Kramer versus Kramer. <laughs> like, I just yeah. realized that. Yeah. What the hell? And maybe they thought, oh, <laughs> hey, a funny version of Kramer versus Kramer. But 
Right. Yeah. But they're not split up in this movie. She just, right. Right. She just goes to work when he gets laid off. And then Martin Mole plays her boss who, uh, is of course, a. A lech, of course, because yeah. I guess Dabney Coleman was <laughs> right. Yes, yeah, it's something else going on. <laughs> All right, and then another one which actually might knock one of yours off the list. I saw the Russo brothers' Avengers: Infinity War. Yeah, that's my next one. Uh, oh, perfect. Times out well. Uh, yeah, it means I'll be doing a lot of talking. That's right. Um, but you'll get to talk about Avengers, of course, as well. Oh, thank um, you, <laughs> thank you, sir. Uh, I went in. You know, I uh, we've talked about I only seen like half of the movies, and I hadn't seen any of the Russo brothers. I haven't seen the yeah. the two. Yeah. When Captain America ones they yeah, did in Civil War. So I went in not exactly like <clears throat> stoked. Yeah. I was curious and definitely interested in just the you know uh, the most ambitious crossover uh, in history, as the meme says. Yeah. Um, but um, uh, I really really liked it. It uh, it feels like the couple of things that I will compare it to is I think it maybe is in terms of structure, especially more like reading comic books than any other comic book movie movie I've ever seen. You know, I think there are movies that maybe like Sam Raimi, Spider-Man movies, maybe have more of a comic book look to them than this does. Um, a lot of this feels like a lot of the way the movie is shot feels like you're looking at a comic book sort of as you're walking by it out of the side of your eye. Sure. Like, I think there's something slapdash to the Russo's approach that they've taken a lot of shit for not having seen civil war. I know that a lot of people don't like the way it, a lot of people who do, who do are, who are detractors from civil war point to the way it looks. But I actually think there's a method to the madness. Mm -hmm. I think what sets the Marvel movies apart from uh, so many people talk about like, I wish these movies had more grandeur and it's like, well, that's what the DC movies are going for. Right. Grandeur isn't really what we're doing here. (laughs) We're doing like grand settings and then treating them nonchalantly. Yeah. But still keeping the characters real. Yeah. I would say, yeah, to a fairly good extent. I think the, the, of the movies that I've seen in the MCU, I think they have been pretty good at keeping the characters consistent. Um, yeah, I think so. Um, but, um, so yeah, it reminded me of reading comic books and then this did not occur to me at the time, but it occurred to me later. The structure of the movie (laughs) also reminds me a lot of Inglorious Bastards, one of my favorite movies, because it's structured instead of being having recognizable first, second and third acts or whatever, Infinity War is basically a series of short stories that each have their own climax and that climax just becomes they're all violent climaxes yeah. and it just becomes bigger as it goes on which is pretty much exactly how Inglorious Bastards is yeah. structured it's a series of short films in which that end with multiple people getting shot at the end of each one of them and and of Infinity War is a series of short films that ends up with huge CGI things punching the shit out of each other and the world and stuff yeah. around them um, it's also really really way funnier than I expected I laughed a lot I, I especially think, if you see the the other Russo Brothers stuff okay. which I, Winter Soldier I consider to be one of the more serious films of the MCU okay. and Civil War quite a bit as well uh, and so huh. yeah for this one to be as quip heavy as it is yeah, I, uh, I mean, surprised me I think I'll say the last thing I'll say and then I'll um let you talk for a while and then I'll probably talk again Um, is that I don't love the ending. I've made some peace with it. Uh, we're not going to get into spoilers, even though I'm sure everyone's seen it. I don't think we should get too much deep into spoilers. I will say to go back to the Quentin Tarantino, uh, comparison, kill bill volume one is called kill bill volume one, right? 
Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part One is called Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part One. To me, I'm okay with the movie having a cliffhanger. I wish they had just kept the initial name of Infinity Wars sure. Part One. It's a, I know it seems like a minor thing, but it did put me. I was in a bad. I loved them. The movie's two hours and thirty six <coughs> minutes long. Yeah. Um, let's knock off 10 for credit. Say it's two hours and 25 minutes. I spent two hours and 15 minutes really liking it. And then the last 10 minutes pissed me off. And I had to spend a day not being pissed off at the movie in the way it ended. Um, and not, I'm not saying it pissed me off because I'm especially, uh, connected to the characters and wherever they are left off. I, I just mean because it felt like a dirty trick. Um, uh, and, um, uh, I felt like there was something else that I was going to say about the movie, but, um, y- yeah, uh, maybe that's a minor quibble, but I feel like I would, ha- it would have, I would have been more at ease with the way the movie ends, which is a, a huge cliffhanger. Yeah. Um, if it had been called part one. <laughs> Interesting. Cause I, I think in watching it, I forgot there was a movie coming out in a year, which oh, I think is probably okay. a good, it's like, you know, good for the movie to like, yeah. to not constantly be playing to that, but it did it so well. Um, yeah. and seems to build to such a climax of the fact that it basically just like stops is, uh, re- really frustrating. Yeah. Uh, I have a lot of things to say about the film and I wrote a review, uh, over at, uh, more than one lesson. And well, my review is about our pretension. That's right. Yours is the official review <laughs> of our website. Um, my review can just go fuck itself. Um, but, uh, you know, it's interesting talking about the structure because I yeah I agree with you and when it comes right down to it this film should be nominated and maybe even win best editing <laughs> when you think I mean spotlight crash anything that's a huge ensemble and you're able to juggle it and keep things moving yeah. isn't an editorial achievement but because it is what it, it's the movie that it is yeah. I don't think it's going to be but it it's, needs to be it's the cloud atlas of 2018 <laughs> yeah <that way>. <laughs> but that's the thing is you know this is a, everyone I know has said for this many characters, it really is amazing at how not merely, you know, compre, uh, comprehensible it is, mm-hmm. but also how much it moves. It's a long movie yeah. that doesn't feel long. And so, and that's a function of the editing and the writing because the way the characters are paired up, the groupings mm-hmm. makes such a di- such a difference. I think the writers probably could have worked it out no matter how they put things together. But having you know Tony Stark end up with the people that he ends up with specifically feels about right. Specifically, Tony Stark and Doctor Strange is such a great. It's because Spider Man being a fun right but tangent like there's maybe no hero at least character in the MCU who is more poised to be unimpressed by Tony Stark than Dr. Strange. And like they're equally, they're both huge egomaniacs. And so it's a great, it's a great pairing. I will say very few people more, more uh, poised to take the air out of the grandiosity of Dr. Strange uh like Tony Stark. Yes. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, I will say that I was surprised and, but not disappointed that there are some characters who are major characters who kind of get short shrift. There's not yeah. a lot of Captain America stuff. There's almost no Black Widow stuff really in the movie in, yeah. term, in terms of story. I mean, she there's there's a great uh, all lady fight. Yeah, with um, it's um, Okoye, Black Widow and Scarlet Witch against Proxima Midnight, yeah. which is a name that I feel like it's like one of those Star Wars characters that I only know from marketing. Sure. Is she actually ever referred to as like of the black order? Is anyone besides Ebony Maw 
referred to by name in the movie. I don't think so. Yeah. I just know that she's Proxima Midnight. Isn't that weird? Yeah. I guess you kind of have to, <laughs> um, uh, just to write about it. Um, which actually leads to one of the best jokes, both as a joke and a joke as a part of the story. And I don't want to give it away, but at the end of that fight, Okoye says something about Scarlet Witch. There's a huge laugh. Yes. But then you immediately cut to where Scarlet Witch was before the place that she just abandoned. And yeah. you realize like, oh shit, she should have been up there. Yes. And it's a, it's a great moment because it's, it's like almost a cheer type laugh immediately followed by a gut punch of like, oh fuck, you know? Yeah. And that's, that's the thing is I think it's a very well written film. And as I liked winter soldier, I did not like civil war. There are things I like about it, but I think structurally, I think as far as dialogue, as far as character dynamic, and especially the action, I didn't really like any of it. I thought it was very flat and perfunctory in a lot of ways. And so I went into this being like, I don't think I like the Russo, the way the Russo brothers stage action. And I think they really knocked it out of the park mm-hmm. uh, with the film because, you know, at this point, we've seen so many different iterations of CGI action, superhero or otherwise, that it takes something to impress me or to or to get any kind of emotion out of me at all. Mm-hmm. Um but when you see, for example, when you see not even Thanos, but when you see his underlings so thoroughly just beat the shit out of people that we know are formidable. Right. It's and the way in which they do is like, damn, these these aren't even the guys in charge. Um, and they do they do something smart from a writing standpoint in the first scene that establishes Thanos his his fighting bona fides. Oh, yeah. And it's yeah. like, all right, that answer, first off, it, that answers uh, a question we've been asking for a while. Right. Uh, sorry, nerds have been asking for a while right. and deals with that pretty much immediately. Um, <clears throat> so I, you know, I, I read comic books growing up and then as a teenager, I kind of moved away from them. But I was nine years old when the Infinity Gauntlet little miniseries oh, really? came out. Okay. And I read it and it was fucking uh traumatizing to me (laughs) all right and uh, listeners know they can they can go back and read my my uh my articles my hot takes my tyler's takes uh because i wrote a few when like the infinity war uh trailers were were coming out Mm -hmm. in which i said like this is what i think should happen but i know they're not going to do it because the studio won't have the balls (laughs) they did and yeah, we'll see. No, no, no. It's okay. We will see. And the thing is how they end this film really surprised me because like everybody else, like, yeah, all right. We know that. Well, we certainly know that this guy is not going to make it. And we think this person might not make it. And, but the choices they make. See, that's the thing to me is the fact that there's so many characters that may, you know, May or may, given the cliff, I don't want to spoil too much. I know. But I also know that everyone has seen I it. I know. Um, the fact that there are certain characters who may not have made it that we kind of know did make it, sure. uh, to me, takes away from the handful of characters who I'm pretty sure are going to stay dead. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Because there's, I mean, there's, there's four, by my count. Um, 
if you're counting a minor character who dies in the first scene uh, as a named hero character. Yeah, yeah. Uh, if you're counting him, then there are four to me that I think aren't coming back. Um, I can't. Okay, I count three. Hang on. Yeah, I only count three. Well, which I'm trying to. Uh, because there's two right at the beginning. Yeah. Then there's one in the middle. Hmm. I don't. I don't think I remember the one in the middle. And it's a big moment. Damn. <laughs> I'm a, I'm a, uh, yeah. Okay. Well, um, you'll have to. You'll have to remind me. Maybe I was in the bathroom. I didn't go to the bathroom. Um, but yeah, I I like the. Uh, oh yeah. Yeah, I don't uh, think that it, character is coming back. I don't think so either. Um, um, and so yeah, there are, <clears throat> there are four, and I think the. But I like that those characters aren't coming back. But I also feel like the way it ends with so many characters, like characters that we know have sequels being like, <gasps> is that person That's, gone? It's like, it's like it detracts from the weight of yes. the deaths that should count. Here's what I'm trying to keep in mind. I'm trying to think of the nine-year-olds <laughs> that saw this movie, and they don't know that there's another one in a year. That's true. They don't follow the sequel, the, the sequel, uh, schedule. Uh-huh. All they know uh-huh. is, is that ending. Yeah. Just like I did. And also Jesus, a year when you're nine years old is a long time, it's a long time to me. You and I will think about other things and it'll be a infinity war two before we realize exactly. it. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's like, ah, we got, I got Deadpool. I got solo. I got all kinds of And then of we stuff. have a word season and then, but for a kid, yeah. you know, look, they might not make it, uh, to that point. This might have really put them over. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, so that's something that I like is that, you know, I, these movies appeal to everyone and everyone, you know, sees it. I had, so I was, uh, but it's not just kids. That's the other thing. You and I are movie people. So I, listeners know that I, I have been driving for Lyft lately. Uh, I drove for Lyft. I, I was driving that weekend. Uh huh. Everyone that got in the car said, did you see Infinity War? And that's, I said, yes. And they're that's like, pretty cool. And they said, whew, that ending. And they're like, I don't know what's going to happen. And I was like, yeah, I guess you wouldn't, would you? Because no offense to people, no offense to them. They just didn't. They don't spend. They don't. They don't do what twenty we do. hours a day thinking exactly. about movies. Exactly. Yeah. But how? Like, God, strike me down if I ever get so jaded that I can't find it special that so many people are so moved by a movie even exactly. if it is a huge disney movie and, and all my problems with disney whatever those are like the yeah the the fact that everyone got in your car and wanted to talk about it yeah. War, that's cool and we should not take that for granted and everybody agreed this was this is the way i characterize it that ending it's effective <clears throat> but there is one specific death and interaction that elevates everything to a much more emotional level. Yes. It, uh, which apparently was improvised by the actor. Oh, which well, is uh, impressive. I think, uh, even though this was the first Avengers, like main title Avengers movie, not to be directed by Joss Whedon. It, that moment reminded me of one of the most devastating moments ever directed by Joss Whedon, which is the angel season five episode, hmm. a hole in the world. Um, which is, do you ever like, I'm not sure how often you rewatch series that you love, 
but you ever have episodes coming up? It's like, this is a great episode, but it's also so painful that I also almost like, let's like, I, I almost like put off revisiting yeah. and a hole in the world is one of the hardest episodes to watch. It's also brilliant. Yeah. Anyway. Um, yeah, and, there, there are a couple episodes of Deadwood that are, that are that, oh, okay. especially yeah. when there are episodes that are, there are like storylines, a couple of, that start two or three episodes before that are leading towards that. And when you know where yeah. you're headed, you're like, ah, shit. Yeah. You know, well, I don't know if you're talking about, I, I guess minor spoiler for Deadwood. Um, uh, I, I, I'm of, I am cursed with the fact that the two episodes that deal with Bullock's son dying are two of my favorite episodes of the series. And so I, I've rewatched them a lot, but they're so painful. Yeah. Uh, advances non miraculous is probably my favorite episode of Deadwood. And just like, and that's the thing is like the minute you see Tom Nuttall get that bike, uh-huh. you're like, yeah, oh, right. yeah. Damn it. Um, yeah. But yeah. Anyway, so, um, back to, uh, I only have one more thing that I wanted to say okay. about Avengers war and then we can move on. Is yep. that right? Okay. Uh, this is another, argument in favor of not watching trailers and I'll tell you why because the biggest laugh for me in the movie the biggest joke for me mm-hmm. in the movie the funniest joke is in the trailer but it's also cut in the way in, in, in such a way in the trailer that it's not funny in the trailer okay it's a moment between Spider-Man and Doctor Strange oh yes yes huge I laughed so hard I was so bummed to then go and watch the trailer the next day which is what I often do yeah um uh to, to, to see how a movie was marketed and to see that like they took the air out of the joke by I think because obviously you can't get the whole chaos of the lead up to it right. and then also the Doctor Strange reaction shot they use in the trailer is not yeah. the same as the way that he reacts in in the movie. Yeah. And it's like in the trailer it makes it look a little more sort of like sitcom y. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. It really bugged bugged me. And we well, we haven't even talked about the trailers and how uh misleading they were. That's true, yes. Um, Which I I like, but I'm not sure why. I think I didn't like it at first. Now I think I don't care, but I don't I still don't think I like it. <laughs> But yeah, for those who haven't been following, which I'm sure everyone, again, people who listen to the show probably know, but there's, it's not just like, it's not like the big, do you remember the trailer for the big short where they tried to make it look yes. like all the stars are in the same room yeah. where they've got like, uh, like, uh, uh, Ryan Gosling says something funny and they cut to Christian Bale laughing and you don't like yeah. when you watch the movie, it's like, oh, that happened on the other side of the country <laughs> yeah. 45 minutes earlier <laughs> yeah. in the movie. But anyway, um, uh, no, this isn't like that. This is that they actually digitally manipulated footage they yeah. added added a character where that character wasn't there's also a really uh they also um changed there's one shot where they changed the number of infinity stones in the gauntlet did i don't know if you saw that yeah, i did and there's another one that's really weird where they uh um I, i'll say without spoiling but the, at the end of the first trailer when chris hemsworth, uh, hemsworth is like who the hell are you guys and it cuts to all the guardians right. and mantis waves mm-hmm. the shot of mantis waving is not from that shot they took her waving from a later part of the movie and put th- that mantis into that shot yeah weird right <laughs> i don't know why they even did that i'm i don't know why they do anything with an avengers trailer <laughs> except to say hey there's an avengers movie coming out yeah um I, oh, yeah. and i do think josh Brolin is great Unsur- yeah, I think surprisingly, um, I think everything Thanos was great. And I don't think Marvel does their cosmic villains. Well, uh, I, yeah, I think he was the guy. No, I mean, I still wouldn't put him on the level of Loki or Killmonger, who are the two best villains, I think. Yeah. Um, but I think I can't remember if you made the point in this re- in, in your review, but I've heard, I've uh, seen a number of people made the point that as much as infinity war is an ensemble, if you had to pick a lead, it's yeah. probably Thanos. Thanos yeah. is probably the lead of the movie. Yeah. J- uh, friend of the show, Jason Eakin on his letterboxd review said something that I thought was interesting, which is, 
if you just tilt this a little bit and it's an Indiana Jones movie uh-huh. where <laughs> Thanos is just collecting all of these things and get and right, fighting yeah. off anybody yeah. that is that is trying to stop him. All right. Oh, this is going to be so long. Yeah. All right. So um, moving on. I won't spend long, long on this one. My review is up. I watched a, a DVD, a Blu-ray. Sorry, DVD. Uh, I review Blu-rays. Yeah. On the, on the website uh, for a movie called The Resurrected, which I was really interested to see because it's directed by Dan O'Bannon, who oh, wrote yeah. uh, Alien, but he also directed The Return of the Living Dead, which a lot of people like and I don't think is that great. Uh, it's but The Resurrected is also based on an H.P. Lovecraft story. It has um, Chris Randon, who's an actor that I really yeah. really like, um, and is kind of I uh, made this point uh, on Twitter. Chris Randon is kind of like a low key horror icon because of yeah. like. Child's Play Play. and The Sentinel and Resurrected and then there's another one that I'm missing like another big one that he was in um that now I'm forgetting but like yeah he's been in a ton of horror movies uh oh Fright Night is the one I'm thinking of oh and he does the voice of Jack Skellington oh that's right yeah um but yeah Fright Night was the one I was thinking of yeah um so yeah I was really excited to see The Resurrected but it's terrible it's Hmm. anytime I've said this on the podcast before. Anytime a cast is uniformly bad, okay. you have to blame the director, right? Because yeah, we've seen these so. people being good in other things, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, you've also got uh, the lead. Uh, Chris Rennan isn't even the, the lead, even though he's <laughs> it's his picture on the on the cover art. Uh, John Terry is the lead. Oh, all right. Um, whom I would come to love on Lost as as a character whose literal name is Christian Shepherd, which I always forget. <laughs> like the, the, that his name is Christian she- Christian Shepherd. Um, uh, but he was also a Bond uh, a. Um, uh, Felix Leiter, the oh, yeah, yeah. Bond's American uh, counterpart. And he mm-hmm. was a one, a one and done Felix Leiter. Uh, anyway, it's just, it's, and then you've also got, uh, I forget his name, but the, um, the, 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 the scammer sleazeball dude who has sex with Jennifer Jason Lee in Fast Times Ridgemont High. You know? Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, he's, he's great. The character's name is Mike Damone. I don't know the, the yeah, actor's name. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's, uh, it's unfortunately, it's just really boring. Apparently I will say, apparently having looked it up, this cut is not Dan O'Bannon's cut. This okay. movie was never released theatrically. It was taken away from Dan O'Bannon recut and ended up being straight to video. So I can't blame him too much, but there aren't any directorial. I've seen yeah. two movies, which he didn't, I don't know, He might've only directed two. I don't know what else he directed. Yeah. Uh, I don't like them, but okay. Now I've cleared my slate to talk about a movie that I loved. Okay. This, this movie is actually coming out this summer, but I saw it at Kolkoa, which uh, for non-locals is the City of Lights, City of Angels Film Festival, where every year for a week and a half, um, French new French movies that theoretically haven't premiered in the U.S. Although this one actually has, it's played uh, it played the True False Film Festival in in Missouri um, and maybe some others uh, make their American debuts, and most of the time the movies that play Coca-Cola, Coca-Cola don't come out for a long time and sometimes not at all in the U S but this one has a release date this summer. Uh, so I'll be posting, well, I already have a review up on the website from, as part of my Coca-Cola coverage, but this movie is called Gabriel and the mountain. Okay. And it is based on a true story that is remarkably similar in many ways to into the wild about a young man who, uh, went off in the wilderness by himself and ended up dying. Um, okay. Uh, I'm not a big fan of Into the Wild, as I think you know, but um, I absolutely love this movie. Part of the reason 
Now, I mentioned the True False Film Festival, which I don't know if you're uh, aware of the True False Film Festival, but yes. it's mostly documentary-based. Mm-hmm. This is a movie in which the lead, who obviously the character died, mm-hmm. uh, or, you know, the guy in real life died, is played by an actor, and his girlfriend is played by an actor. Pretty much everyone else in the movie who comes into contact with this guy is played by the actual local people who came into contact with him mm-hmm. in the last couple months of his life. Um, and so it's the story of Gabriel... Um, uh, I wrote it down here somewhere, but uh, a Brazilian man who um, took a year to travel before going to grad school in UCLA. All and, right. Uh, Go well, Bruins. Yes. Well, he never made it, um, but he uh, uh, traveled the world. And then the movie picks up on the last couple months of his journeys. He's traveling through Africa and it's, it's, it's broken into um, chapters based on countries. So there's like, uh, um, I can't remember the, uh, which, which countries, um, uh, all he, he goes through. Um, but, uh, and then at, at one point, um, he's joined by his, his girlfriend who is also Brazilian, but it was in Africa for something else and extended her trip. Um, and it's, an, it's just an incredibly, incredibly great lead performance. Um, by, uh, let's see if I can find the guy whose name is João Pedro Zappa. Okay. Um, I don't know if he's in any relation to Frank. I, ha- I have to uh, assume he is. Uh, and it's, it's a movie that I, um, it, even if you don't know the story, it opens with the body being found. So, you know, the whole time. Yeah where this is going and yet you keep forgetting because this guy is in some ways so full of life that you understand why all these locals who met him for be it a day or maybe he stayed with them for a week or so like how they all remember him and and, and think so fondly of him after such a short time but also the movie is not afraid to <coughs> to point out how he's kind of full of shit sometimes that the idea much like into the wild. I think the idea that you can be come from a bourgeois background and travel and like not be a tourist. It's impossible. And like he, so much of his, his travels he's dedicated to wants to be dedicated to authenticity. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, the movie is not, fully not really buying into his bullshit is like yeah. pointing out that he still has, he still comes from an upper middle class Brazilian family. He still has, uh, all these options to fall back on. Um, and he can never, never not be a tourist. Yeah. Um, like there's a part, he, one tribesman, like he goes through the ceremony, he starts wearing like tribal clothes and they give him this like stick, this meaningful stick. And then one part later in the movie, he loses it in the ocean and he essentially throws like a little fit. He acts like a little baby. Yeah. And I just loved how the movie and the direction of uh, Felipe, Barbo- Felipe Barbosa, him and John Pedro Zappa together create um, such a fully realized version of this guy, Gabriel, um, that you love him even when he's being uh, a spoiled little shit, mm. you know, or when he's being entitled or when he's throwing, throwing fits or whatever, or when he's being completely, completely unreasonable in the way that led to him dying. Yeah. Uh, you still kind of love the guy, even the, even after only it's like two hours and 10 minutes of movie. Uh, I felt, I felt very, very deeply moved 
by this movie, Gabriel the Mountain. And it is, it does have an American release date. I'm not sure how wide, but I think it comes, I think it's coming out like the end of June or something. Okay. Um, is that two for me? All right. So yeah, yeah, one for you. Well, okay. So the one for me would have been infinity war. Uh, no, the one, one for you, cause I did Mr. Mom in infinity war. Okay. So the one for you would have been then. Okay. Now I've done two more. Got it. Okay. So now is, yeah, I've, now I finally get to stop talking for a little Okay. Bit. So, um, not for I too saw, long, we're going way long. Right. I saw Paul King's Paddington two, uh, which people said that I uh, should see cause I'm a big fan of the first one. Uh, and some people said the second one was better. I don't agree, but it is wonderful. Um, it's unsurprisingly a, a really delightful film with delightful uh, special effects and deli- the word delightful is was invented for Padding- mm-hmm. the Paddington films um, and <clears throat> I think it's I think it doesn't thematically uh, have the same impact as the the first film but because the first one very much is about being a stranger in a strange land and kind of the potential demonization of that and finding your, you know, not losing yourself in that situation. And then this one is more about being comfortable where you are and accepting it as your home and what that means and coming to trust the people that say they care about you. Um, so there's, there's some good stuff going on and I think it's, I think it's something that would be very good for kids. This is something that if I had a kid, I would be very excited to, to show him or her. Um, because I think it's, it does not, it's something that adults can enjoy, but it is not dumbed down. It's not dumbed down for kids, nor is it done with like a winking gesture towards adults where it's like, yeah, kids, you can tune in if you want, but this is really for us. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's that, and it's, it's rare. It's kind of a tightrope, but I think both films walk it very well. Uh, and the the act the performances all around including uh, the new the the new cast members are uh, include Brendan Gleeson and Hugh Grant uh, as the the villain who uh, is <laughs> is a, a, a something of a washed up actor uh, and but he wants to he wants to put together a, a one man show uh, in which he plays all of the parts and so he goes up into his his attic where every part that he's played in the past you know he has his costume up on a mannequin and then he will just talk to the mannequins uh, talk to the parts he says you know you hush up macbeth and then he will speak <laughs> as macbeth to himself it's it's uh, it's really uh, a lot of fun and it's just this very special magical type of filmmaking where <clears throat> it is a world that is similar to our own but is not ours it feels very you know i would i would definitely trust paul king to adapt a roald dahl book uh-huh. because it's that heightened type of absurdity that still and has anti-semitism <laughs> Yeah. Oh, I sorry. I meant to. I, I forgot to say that this is a deeply anti-Semitic film. Um, but uh, but yeah, it's that heightened type of absurdity that still has uh, something of a heart to it. And I yeah, I can't recommend it highly enough. Paddington Two. All right. Uh, I watched a movie I'd, I've been meaning to watch for uh, a long, long time, which is the 1925 silent film, The Lost World. Okay. Have you seen it? I've not. So this is the one where there's dinosaurs. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it's pretty impressive in terms of the 
the stop motion of the dinosaurs. That's mm-hmm. really the, that's what you're coming to see. Right. Um, and there's a there's a lot of cool uh, a lot of cool stuff, and there's a lot of other non stop motion animals in it as well. But when it's not about that, the movie's kind of a tough sit for a couple of reasons. It has something that I uh, I always feel like you can tell a lesser silent film when there are too many intertitles. And it's like, yeah, it's constant, like it's constant reading, which, I, you know, I watch foreign, I watch foreign films where I read all the time, but that's while things are going on. But like right. the more you have to rely on, on, on intertitles, I feel like it's, a, it's, a, it feels like a crutch a lot of the time and it's constant, which is only exacerbated by the fact that a healthy number of them are so racist <laughs> because they have like tour guides who are guys in blackface yeah. who are like their tours, their native tour guides and they're like pigeon English. It's written in dialect on the intertitles and it's so it's cringing. Like it's yeah. like, like, uh, you know, those cannibals going to eat us. <laughs> like, oh, stuff like that. <laughs> it literally says cannibals, <laughs> um, which would be a fun way to pronounce it. If it wasn't, I know. Yeah. It's, it's a fun word to say, but if it wasn't coming from a racist place, it's, uh, I, I, I don't know. I mean, Flickr Alley put out the, the blue, right. They did, did a great job. It's obviously a very important historical film, uh, in terms of, uh, I don't know, spectacle and special effects. Uh, but yeah, it is, it is tough. Uh, you know, in their own way, I, I I applaud them for, cause the thing about intertitle intertitles is you can change them if you want. No one's going to know. I thought about that. Yeah. Good for them for not for saying like, this was the The historical record. Yeah. 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 Um, okay. So then, and then the only, uh, because of uh, in between these two movies, I saw 11, the 11 movies you heard me talk about uh, on the podcast with Scott and Julie. Uh, and then the only other film, I only got to see two films at Colcoa this year because TCM fest fell in the, in the middle and that takes precedence. Sorry, Mm -hmm. Colcoa people, uh, don't schedule up against TCM fest. Um, So the only other one I saw was the closing night film, uh, which is a film called the prayer, uh, which in some ways, now that I'm thinking, I didn't think about this at the time, but, uh, because there were weeks that passed in between, but in some ways reminds me of first reformed, um, in that. So this is a movie about a, uh, a young man. It's a French movie, obviously. Um, about a young man, uh, who is a heroin addict who, uh, goes, to a sort of rural, um, I guess rehab farm type facility that is run by the Catholic church. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, he has his troubles adjusting and all of that, but, um, it's, um, he eventually becomes a, a, a convert, not only to sobriety, but also to Catholicism. And I think the movie is, uh, you know, I, I, I like a movie that is, that is not telling you how to feel about what's happening. Mm-hmm. And the movie gives you, I think, equal reason to believe that his conversion is sincere or equal reason to believe that he is in a sense, replacing one dependency with another. Sure. And, and, and the movie doesn't steer you either way and also doesn't judge either way. Um, it's, uh, I know you hear this all the time about your other podcast, but I would love for more than one lesson to cover this movie. Yeah. Um, 
and uh, yeah, I don't want I, I don't want to go too much into it. it's a very episodic movie. It takes place over the it takes place over a year. Like it'll suddenly jump months in between scenes because he's there like a year and a half. Um, and then there's uh, like a local girl in the town that he maybe is interested in that uh, that becomes a part of the the plot. But it's um, really just a um, uh, a really tactile and open-minded movie and it's shot by the cinematographer eve's cape i'm I'm sure i'm not saying that right Mm -hmm. um uh our listener who oh yeah you weren't obviously on the last episode but uh a listener who taught us how to pronounce the name of the director of blade runner 2049 maybe could tell me how to pronounce the cinematographer um how are we supposed to say it okay so we've been saying the first name right denis denis but the last name it's we've been overdoing it okay it's two syllables the first one is veal like the meat and the second syllable is in the in this in our in our listeners description is like sort of like pronouncing the word nerve with a british accent like without the r so it's villeneuve villeneuve yeah denis villeneuve villeneuve yeah denis villeneuve yeah that's how we're supposed to say anyway um so thank you to him. Maybe he can pronounce, tell me how to pronounce uh, cinematographer Eve's Cape's name. But she shot um, Holy Motors, which is oh, nice. a beautifully shot, uh, excitingly shot film. She also did a movie that I saw at last year's um, uh, AFI Fest called April's Daughter, which I quite liked. Um, so, yeah, it's a, <coughs> a great-looking movie, definitely worth seeing. Let's move on. Back to you. Okay. Uh, I This is a rewatch. I haven't seen the film in a long time, and that is George, George Roy Hill's The Sting. Oh, I haven't seen it forever. Um, I did it for... Uh, so I was doing a, an experiment for the, uh, the talk that I was giving at uh, the Film Fest, uh, in which I was talking about the impact that music could have on a film. And so I described the, uh, the story of The Sting... And then I would play some of the Scott Joplin music <clears throat> adapted by Marvin Hamlish. And then I thought, oh, no, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take the description of The Sting. I'm then going to take a description of Chinatown. Then using my editing software, I'm going to take a, uh, a scene from The Sting and put Chinatown music over it, <laughs> and then a scene from Chinatown and put Sting music over it, uh, just to show how music can inform mm-hmm. the way we take the story. You know, it's it's almost an inflection. And uh, Chinatown, you know, they're only a year apart, and they're shot much the same way. Um, and uh, unsurprisingly, Chinatown just seems a lot zanier. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, I did not put music over the uh, sister-daughter scene, but I sure, can only imagine good. it seemed like a delightful French farce if you do. <laughs> um, but anyway, uh, but it got me thinking, like, I haven't seen The Sting in a while, so, so I watched it. And uh, it's delightful in a lot of ways. Something that... I don't think this is necessarily a flaw with the film, but it's definitely something that I noticed this time is that when it comes right down to it, it's people saying we're going to do something Mm -hmm. and then they do it. Like there really isn't that much conflict and there really isn't that much risk of it not happening. Um, and despite, Robert Shaw being a, you know, any, any con movie where it's like a big con, mm-hmm. whether it be Ocean's Eleven 
or the sting you know you ultimately have a bunch of people united against one person so that one person needs to really be a presence and robert shaw of course is uh and so i think that's um i think he's really effective and i of course i enjoy paul newman and uh Robert Redford, but then also Ray Walston and Eileen uh, Brennan. Wait, Eileen Brennan, right? Yes. Okay. Sounds like it's been a long time. Um, and so, yeah, I, I enjoy a lot of it. Uh, it. It's a film that I still like watching, but when you see when you've seen it a few times, and it's been years since I've seen it, but when you've seen it a few times and you watch it again. It's not that it's there are still stakes involved, but it is definitely robbed of some suspense. Really, the only thing that the only like wild card is Charles Durning as the cop who's not who doesn't really factor into the plans and thus could show up and foil them. Uh, But beyond that, everything just kind of goes the way it's supposed to go. And you know, I guess that's kind of the nature of any kind of con or heist movie, but, um, but yeah, it does, it does rob the, the proceedings of some, some suspense. Um, but, and I feel bad that I'm speaking ill of this thing. It's still, of course, an incredibly enjoyable movie and maybe because it's meant to be purely enjoyable, Mm -hmm. it's okay that it's not that suspenseful or doesn't have, that much mystery to it but uh but yeah I mean, there's something i mean it's just seeing processes processes yes. unfold yes. is just a fun thing to do in a yeah. fourth dimensional format like like yeah, film absolutely. like cinema all right um moving on coming up coming up on the home stretch here kind of kind of um uh i saw overboard the new overboard all right uh, and it has much the same problems as the first Overboard, which is that you've got a pretty charming romantic comedy with two good leads, mm-hmm. but the story is just so fucking stupid. And I, and I mean stupid, just like unimaginable. Like it's it's a horrible, sto- horrible. That's a new word that I just made up. <laughs> it's a horrible story. That. The, the the premise that mm-hmm. the movie will be like oh look at them getting to know each other and he's like yeah, whatever he's like warming up to the kids and all that and it's like oh wait now we have to have a scene where everything grinds to a halt so we address this awful amnesia amnesia like kidnapping yeah. you know um a brainwashing plot line that it's it's anti-romantic i think yeah. is the problem is that the story of someone trick playing as cruel a trick as this on yeah. someone is at odds at cross purposes with the movie as a romantic comedy. Yeah. And so it just doesn't work. There's plenty of great scenes. I would like to see, I know, um, in the Spanish speaking, you know, uh, uh, Latin American world, <coughs> uh, Eugenio Derbez or whatever. I'm not sure if that's right. Um, is a huge star and yeah. he clearly deserves to be. He's incredibly charismatic. We know how great Anna Ferris is. I would love to see them get a movie that actually like, yeah. uh, you know, uh, works, but this is just, uh, it's just too bad. I, I, it's what is, uh, I'll, I'll, not even talk about the quality of the movie. It is fascinating to me that this is a real attempt at a crossover movie in the sense that huge sections of the movie are just in Spanish oh, neat. With, with subtitles. Um, cause there's a whole plot line about him becoming a construction worker and all of his fellow construction workers are 
also Spanish speaking. And so there's full scenes, both comedic scenes and actually like emotional scenes, you know, about ta- where they, and, and like, there's a, there's a scene where they're talking about, cause you know, he's a rich guy, but yeah. he doesn't know that. <laughs> and so they're talking about this sort of being poor and having no options to grow out of poor, that, that just like going to work, doing the best you can to make money, for a family and kids like that's all your life is going to be forever right. and it's kind of like a bittersweet like but we get our kids we get our family it's a bittersweet scene that is entirely in spanish um that, that that's pretty cool stuff yeah um uh you've also got uh it the w- a weird surprise to me it shouldn't have been but mel rodriguez is in the movie actually playing a latino because i see him on last yeah. man on earth and i forget that mel rodriguez is, is latino because todd yeah. is i don't know what todd's the character's background on last man Earth is supposed to be but it's not there's nothing specifically hispanic about anything that he does or, yeah. or says whereas here he's uh you know he's he's that's a big part of his character he and uh he and uh eva longoria together play have you, have you seen the original overboard no okay well they play essentially the mike haggerty role oh nice well uh, <laughs> i know who mike haggerty is i know who <laughs> rodriguez is yeah. it works well yeah so the, in this case instead of kurt russell just having one kind of scumbag best friend um Anna Ferris has a couple who are if not scumbags at least more than a little willing to help her yeah. p- perpetuate this fraud there was uh there's an ep- so Mel Rodriguez is in like three episodes of community oh. uh, as like the chief security guy um and there's a apparently there's uh, an episode where they have uh, there's like a monkey loose in the vents okay and uh, so <laughs> the dean played wonderfully by Jim Rash is explaining like hey we don't run a monkey college here <laughs> and he's like he goes if we did we'd have vine he goes we'd have vines for elevators we'd have uh, <laughs> holes for t- in the bathrobes for tails and Rodriguez like wow you really thought this through <laughs> and it's just and he does it with a, like he's a really good deadpan actor yeah uh, in fact like one of the best working right now I always enjoy him yeah uh, <clears throat> yeah I, I wish Overboard were a better movie because it's like it's you know directed by a guy named Rob Greenberg who comes from the sitcom world so mm-hmm. it has a sort of I guess just competence to the way it uh, looks and moves but you've got two very charismatic leads and like I said a char- you know you got Mel Rodriguez and Eva Longoria yeah. and John Hanna um, oh nice uh, you've got a good like charismatic supporting cast too it's just there's nothing that can be done with this premise it mm-hmm. doesn't work anyway uh, moving on I saw another documentary very good one very much unlike rbg um a movie called the gospel according to andre which is about uh a man named andre leon talley who is um sort of a fashion expert has worked for all sorts of fashion magazines for you know since the 1960s and 70s and uh and even today and it's a it's a bi i guess a biographical documentary about him but what it really is to me is a portrait of american blackness over the last half century from a point of view that we would never that we just never really see that you know that that it's making the point that as like a small town southern black man his experience of blackness is as valid as anyone else and is not any he doesn't become any less black 
because he's gay because he's in the fashion world because he lived in paris for years right. you know because he he's all these things that we don't think of as american blackness yeah but he or is as american in general <laughs> right yeah that, uh, but he's uh, his experience is just as much one of uh, a part of the american black experience as any other american black man right. or woman um <clears throat> Yeah, and I, I found that he's an incredibly uh, touching person. He's an incredibly moving person. And they were actually shooting during the 2016 campaign and actually mm. shooting on election day. And so you see him kind of like in denial and kind of stunned. And then it kind of cuts to him doing like he has a serious XM radio show and they're covering the inauguration live yeah. as a fashion event. And so we've just seen him have this existential crisis about Donald Trump uh, being elected. And we cut directly to him uh, unabashedly praising Melania Trump's inauguration look, yeah. you know? And like, <laughs> and so I think it's a great, uh, I almost feel like it's a spoiler cause it's late, late in the movie, but we know how the election won and yeah. <laughs> ended up. Uh, but it's kind of a great encapsulation of like these things, this, this, I guess you, that's, this is the point you want to think of it as a, di- as a dichotomy, but mm-hmm. it's not, that's the movie's point. This is all one person and all of this about him loving clothes and, you know, uh, fearing for the welfare of black people under a president who was openly racist and openly embraced racists, racists. Uh, this is all one thing. This, these aren't, he's not at war with himself. It's right. maybe our limited idea of what it means to be American or what it means to be black. That's at war. Yeah, I, that's definitely first voice. off earlier. Uh, I didn't mean to. I made a joke. I didn't mean to imply that uh, him being gay means he's not typically American. I mean, all of the various. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I knew what you okay. meant. Just, okay, just wanted to be careful there. Yeah. Um, no, that's that's definitely it's something that I that I like a lot. Um, I believe did Sarah write about the film or was um, that you? Because I think uh, she saw it. At a, yeah, no. So yeah, Sarah. Yeah, you can check out Sarah. Gave it, wrote a bunch of reviews at the uh, the Independent Film Festival of Boston. Um, so you can find all of those. So yeah, she did review this one. I'll have a review for the theatrical okay. release when it comes out. But yeah, you can already read Sarah's review of this um, and the next movie I'll talk about uh, at the website. Yeah, it's it just sounds like a very interesting. idea idea and one that I think I think yes I think of uh, it's a very I need to be careful when I when I say this that as I get older I feel like more than Republican or conservative or in any of these belief systems I find myself the way I describe it and I'm sure plenty of people have used it for some kind of horrible fascistic thing, um, (laughs) is an individualist, which is Uh to say, you know, I know a lot about you. I know what you believe and I know what demographics you fall into, but I also know that you are not defined by any one of them. And you're not even really defined by all of them mixed together Mm -hmm. as much as we might think that when you add all these up, that's David Bax. no, because even within those individual demographics, you sometimes will go against what that means because an individual is more than just a combination of all their, their isms. And right, so, right. you know, it's, I've been thinking about this partially because of being at the, having gone to UCLA 
and then going to the International Christian Film Festival and just seeing who I am <laughs> at both of those places and recognizing in both places I wind up being a dissenting voice. And right. realize like, yeah, it'd be very easy to... And, and, I, and I do it as well, whether I could say like, well, I'm a Christian, I'm a conservative, I'm a film lover, I'm all of these things. Yes, I am all of these things, but... But you couldn't take all those things and build a you in a lab. Exactly, right. exactly. And so, and I think that's, I think it's a very human idea, but I definitely think it, is, it can be seen as an American idea, which is maybe one of the reasons why I get so bothered by the concept of identity politics as though, well, you fall into this group, so this is how you should behave. And... I don't know. We're getting regardless of what that group might be. I, I think there's a certain tribalism to identity politics that I think is uh, damaging. Um, I, I don't think I, 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 I think that's pr- an outsider's point of view, because I think when you're inside the identity politics groups, there's not actually an abandonment of the individual. You can be both things. You can represent and advocate for a group and not obliterate the individuals within the group. Unless you're a black conservative, for example, um, <laughs> who will be called an Uncle Tom, who will be called a house, what have you, whatever it is. But like, thank you. But what I'm saying that is that you can, just as I can disagree with you and still see the the you and I like, yeah, those are obviously harsh terms. I would rather people not use them. It's not up to me. Um, but let's play them down at least. But I think you can. You can insult someone to their face and still like them. No, absolutely. I, I think that, yes, you know, okay. that, I see what you mean. Um, yes, I agree with you. And, uh, and no, I think for me, it, anytime, uh, anytime acknowledging that somebody is in a group becomes prescriptive. Anytime it says like, well, you are in this group, whether it be purely genetic or philosophical, and it's like, and thus you should be this, you should think this yeah. way. And I think sometimes well, it's... So you're actually, a, you're coming from a conservative point of view, but you're talking about something that gets talked about a lot in liberal circles. Are, sure. you, are you familiar with the term white feminism? Have you I heard am this not. Term? Which is basically the idea... Well, I okay. might be able to piece it together, but you, go ahead. You saw the um, Ryan Murphy, uh, O.J. Simpson miniseries, yes. right? Yes. So do you remember the idea of Sarah Paulson's character as Marsha Cross? Is that right? Clark. Clark. Um, Marsha Cross was on Desperate Housewives. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> um, I, I don't remember. Uh, Marsha Clark. Um, her idea that she wanted women on the jury because he's a known spousal abuser and therefore immediately assuming, well, they'll be on my side against him. Right. Not taking into account the idea that black women have more complex experiences sure, than that. Sure. That's white feminism. And that's something that, that, or that, that's a, that's a, you know, an example of what people talk about when they talk about quote unquote white feminism, mm-hmm. which is exactly what you're talking about. That, that, um, that, that thing, um, that the thing that you're talking, you're talking about, the lumping together tends to happen on the part of the privileged communities within the communities fighting against privilege <laughs> do you know what I mean? Uh, okay. Yeah. All right. Hang on. <laughs> um, okay. Got it. Yes. And so, th- I mean, this is what I, what I talk about is that I've said a lot is that and we're so far off topic, but liberals are self-policing sometimes often to a fault. Sure. <laughs> I think, but, um, I, 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 don't, I think it's unfair of you to, to say these things about identity politics as if this isn't already part of the conversation. Oh yeah. Cause no, I think sorry. it is. Yeah. Uh, and maybe honestly, maybe that's, 
again, having been at UCLA and talking with people that are not to denigrate younger people, <laughs> but I'm about to, <laughs> um, it definitely in the, in the tone of conversation in the classrooms that I was a part of it, this, the level of nuance you're talking about did not present itself, hmm. which I feel, which feels completely counterintuitive to me given what a college campus should be in which like nuance should be embraced. And of course now I'm saying should now I'm being prescriptive, but right, you, know what? Right. I, you know what? I'm talking about an environment. I'm okay with that. Um, I will say this and then we'll move on okay. not to be, uh, this isn't political at all, but just like these, uh, these conversations are not new. Um, right. have you ever seen, do you remember that kids in the hall sketch? That's like all the different, like, it's it's basically I can't it's a protest that devolves into ev- basically every person representing a different like group and uh, it, it's it's a protest that devolves into infighting mm. uh, because um, this white male liberal is not respecting the black gay liberal <laughs> like yeah, yeah. point of view. It's a very funny sketch that made me realize like, Oh yeah, this isn't just, this didn't come with Tumblr. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, oh, this is something that has gone on. And of course there's the term rhino Republican and they uh-huh. like in any, in any group and whether you're in the group or outside of it, it's like, well, if you believe this, then surely you got to toe I, the line. I um, think it's not a, it's not specific to uh, any group or anything like my that. impression. And correct me if I'm wrong <laughs> is that, the rhino thing is something that maybe tends to happen more behind closed doors, whereas liberals tend to be more performative about disagreeing with one another. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like Republicans yeah. will infight, but then sort of try to present a more unified front. They'll, where, they'll infight like hell during a primary uh, and it's very public. But then the minute there's not even an official nominee, but the minute like, okay, we're headed this way. That's when it's like, Hey, come on. You need to be right. a part of this. Uh, Whereas we, on the other, by we I mean liberals, on the other hand, earn points by calling sure. our, calling our fellow liberals out on uh, on their microaggressions and stuff. Isn't, isn't life just exhausting? <laughs> uh, yes and no, but uh, yeah, uh, it's your turn. Oh jeez. Oh. Okay, this is a film you've seen. Oh, good. Uh, it is Ridley Scott's All the Money in the World. Oh. I watched it on a plane. Yeah. Um, unedited, which is nice. Um, by which you mean it had Kevin Spacey in it? <laughs> yeah, I don't know how uh, well, American by, Airlines managed to get that. By the way, did you hear about Bernardo Bertolucci? Yeah, I did. <laughs> and in a way, it's like, man, y- you know who you are, right? <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. You're not helping. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, Unbelievable. All right. But, you guys can uh, look it up. We're not going to get into it. But yeah, so um, I think I liked it. I think I liked it more than you did. I think it's still kind of a mess, and I think it might be trying to do too much stuff. Um, but I do... I think it, it, it shows, not unlike Reversal of Fortune to me, it shows that the rich, like this level of rich they just exist in a completely different world Mm -hmm. than the rest of us. And what's more is I don't think the film condemns that fact. I think it condemns attitudes within that. I think condemns, you know, J Paul Getty. But as far as Paul Getty, the the kidnapped kid, Mm -hmm. I don't think it treats him as, well, he comes from money and thus 
he's just a little piece of shit, you know, right. or like, Oh, he's traveling in Europe and he's doing things his own way. It was only a matter of time before he got kidnapped. He doesn't know how the world works. Like, yeah, but he's trying to, yeah, yeah. admittedly in Europe, but, um, and I, and I like that. Yeah, I like that it within treats, the values he was given, he's doing pretty well. <laughs> yeah. It's, and I think that's the thing is just, is accepting the reality of the characters as opposed to just judging them for something that they don't really have any part in and are trying to do whatever it is they do within that. Um, you know, and so that said, of course, the part of J. Paul Getty is the best part of the film. Christopher Plummer is great. Yeah. Uh, especially because he doesn't play the character as nefarious. He plays him as pragmatic uh, in certain ways and also clearly trying to fill some kind of hole inside him. Um, but like when he talks about, I have a bunch of grandchildren and if I do this with one... I'll have to do this with all the others. And on one hand, it's like, well, he doesn't want to spend that money on the other. It's like, I endanger all of them if I give in to this. So there's a certain pragmatism there. But I think what the, the element of the film that I really like because they don't explain what it means is the little statue that, uh, that he gives to Paul when he's very young. Mm -hmm. And then there's this nice moment, a moment of, seeming triumph when Michelle Williams realizes, Oh, I can sell this. And then is it's revealed that it's not, that it is just a trinket. It's not, it's not uh, this valuable thing. And I like that they just, that they linger on that moment, but they never explain exactly what it means. And I think like, okay, that's, it's, I wasn't expecting, I thought this film, it's a lot. But doesn't it, couldn't just mean that he was (coughs) duped? Yeah. Yeah. That Christopher Plummer was, uh, uh, cheap and self-serving the entire time, not just once his grandson got kidnapped. Uh, maybe I, I, the way I see the way I took it is that he genuinely, uh, did genuinely thought that this thing was valuable. Um, huh. and gave it to, and, and you know, he's always talking about like, no, 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 he's a, he's a Getty that means something. And so I'm willing to entrust this to this kid. Cause I, I do value him quite a bit and that he is just that even this guy who can, who seems able to recognize value that doesn't automatically hmm. mean, yeah, you and I had very different reads on that. Yeah. I thought he was just being, being a piece of shit from the beginning. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's the thing is I, I genuinely believe that he does hmm. have, the ability to be very human with his family. He's very elitist about it. It's like, well, you're a Getty and thus you deserve this treatment. But he does seem to think that. Um, and, and I think a lot of that is in Plummer's performance. I think it would be easy. I mean, of course I would be fascinated to see this with Kevin Spacey and see what he played, how he played the character. Cause probably I, real subtle. <laughs> that's like a, like he's got all that makeup, but also I think he would play him. Cause I've seen, like I saw, uh, Elvis and Nixon. Oh, right. I and so I saw him play Nixon and unsurprisingly, he doesn't play him remarkably, uh, nuanced. <laughs> and so I feel like him playing Getty, I feel like the, the tone of the entire film, even though the rest of the film is the same, I feel like the tone of the entire film would change into something a lot less interesting. Um, that said, I still, it's, Again, I think it's trying to do too many things, um, but I feel like it's the most ambitious I've seen Ridley Scott in a while. Um, so, yeah, I I didn't necessarily love it, but I, I did like it a lot. 
Uh, yeah, I felt like I was going to say something, but I forget what it was uh, about that movie. But oh yeah, okay, yeah, Christopher Plummer is really good. But like, Mark Wahlberg has been bad in movies before, but has he ever been this boring? That was my big thing. My my big negative takeaway is that like, yeah, he's doing fine. Wait, he's in this. <laughs> I keep forgetting, even though he is one of the leads. Yeah, and yet, I, it, like, I can't figure out what he does, how he does it what he feels about it. It just, I don't know. I feel like his character's not developed. I really want to watch the Danny Boyle mini series on FX yeah. where Brendan Fraser plays that role. I know, which is cool. Apparently plays him as much more of a cowboy. That's uh, the vibe. I get. <laughs> yes. Uh, all right. Um, moving on to another documentary that Sarah reviewed that you can read the review on the website, but I'll have my review up soon. I watched Morgan Neville's new film. Won't you be my neighbor? Oh yes. Oh my gosh. This is, uh, and it's weird how many biographical documentaries I've watched. Morgan uh, Neville. Uh, he did um, Best of Enemies. Yes, um, that's it. Okay. And well, he's an Oscar winner for Twenty Feet to Start from Stardom, which right. I didn't see. But Best of Enemies is the one that you and I <laughs> really like. Yeah. Um, so yeah, with RBG and Gospel According Andre, and Won't You Be My Neighbor, I've seen a lot of biographical do- documentaries, and I think if you approach Won't You Be My Neighbor as a biographical documentary, it might feel a little thin. Okay. I don't think it actually gets that deep into who Fred Rogers was. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's really more a movie that is a testament to what he represented, what he believed about kindness, mm-hmm. um, about how easy and hard kindness can be and how, uh, how it, he, he sort of, it's something that I have trouble with because I don't have kids and I don't, really know how to relate to kids and I don't think about them that often to be honest um he recognized that children are in multiple senses of the word precious mm-hmm. without being condescending about it yeah like he knew that they he felt that they needed to be protected in some ways but also that like he did a whole like week of episodes about death. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. He did episodes about divorce. Like he was like, we like kids need to learn this stuff and they need to learn it in places where they feel comfortable and safe. Yes. Um, and just, he's just an, an, just an incredible man, what he did. Yeah. Uh, and what he represented. And now I don't, uh, one of the things that the movie doesn't dwell on think, thankfully, but does, I think rightfully point out, and I don't want to get into another political thing here is how Fred Rogers, a lifelong Christian Republican mm-hmm. became demonized by things like Fox news and Westboro Baptist church for yeah. being tolerant and accepting. Uh, it, it's for, for just you being you was like a thing he said at the end of every yeah, episode. Yeah. And yeah, I remember I was watching some clip of, you know, I went down the YouTube rabbit hole, like <laughs> watching Mr. Rogers, like acceptance speeches for like oh, the yeah. lifetime achievement. Awards they don't do the, uh, I'll keep the time. You know, you know that one? Yeah. Such a great speech. It's That's not, great. I was kind of like wondering if they were going to include in the movie, but yeah, look that, look that up. It's oh, amazing. It's, it's amazing. Yeah. Um, so I went down that and then I arrived at some like Fox and friends. No, it wasn't that it was, it was something Fox and they were talking about like, Oh no, he was like that he was in his own way, like bad for kids because you know, it's like for just you being you. And I forget exactly what the, but they're basically saying like uh, that it's the 
the snowflake philosophy, I guess, that he made everyone feel like they were special without having to do anything special. Hey, fuckface, we're dealing with children. <laughs> and everyone is special. Well, I mean... <laughs> in their own way, everyone... Their, yes, that's everyone true. Everyone is, I mean, everyone is important and special. Um, yeah. And but yeah, yeah, they do show... I don't know if this is the same when you watch, but they show a, f- a couple of Fox News clips, and one of them, the commentator literally... Oh, like almost out of a cartoon refers to Fred Rogers as this evil, evil man. <laughs> and that's, you know, but, uh, I, I, yeah, like I said, did, I didn't want to dwell on that of him, uh, talking at the, uh, like whatever the Senate hearing about, uh, funding PBS. Yes. That's a big one. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. That's amazing. Um, yeah, I'm going to get, yeah. Oh yeah. Bring tissue. I'm glad that I was wearing a sport coat with, uh, my pocket square in because <laughs> yeah. bring tissues. Holy shit. This thing yeah. is, uh, just cathartically draining in a good way. Um, but also I do want to point out that, uh, they show him as, you know, a human too, in, in some ways. Uh, so a lot of his crew were like, kind of like, you know, were not necessarily like him in, in terms of their beliefs, yeah. but, came to be in some ways. Yeah. And so they're t- the, one of the main guys I interview is a guy who was like an assistant director for like the entire, almost the entire, like from the sixties into the, cause then he went away for a bit in the eighties and then came back mm. and then did some, uh, shows and then did some specials right after nine 11. I think those are the last Mr. Rogers oh, okay, things that yeah. he did. Um, and so there's one guy who's with him from all, almost all of that. Who's like this old, like hippie biker guy. <laughs> and he was talking about like in the, in the seventies, he had a, like a prank that he would play back. If anyone had a camera, cause you know, this is before cell phones, obviously right. he and the other guys would like steal the camera, go back behind the set, take a picture of this guy's ass and then put the camera back and they'd find it. And so one time Mr. Rogers himself brought a camera. They did their trick like they always did. Uh, and then for months, Mr. Rogers never said anything. And then at Christmas time, he said to one of the crew, Hey, did you give so-and-so his present? He had had the picture blown up to poster size. (laughs) 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 Oh, that's so awesome. That's pretty great. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's one of those, you know, so I grew up watching Mr. Rogers. Did you watch Mr. Rogers? Oh yeah. Okay. Oh yeah. And so like Mr. Rogers, Sesame street reading rainbow. Like that's what I watched. I could not be bothered with three, two, one contact. Did not give a shit. Oh um, yeah. Wait, well you said Mr. Rogers. Oh, Sesame street. Yeah. 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 I love those, but I also lo- loved three, two, one contact. I, d- I don't, I did not care. I tried. I, Oh, I, how I tried. Cause my brother liked it. Yeah. And uh, I'm like, Math net. yeah, no, thank you. <laughs> I like that. Um, but, uh, <laughs> sorry. Okay. All right. I can't go down that path, but, um, but yeah. And so, you know, you grow up with this thing with this very decent guy and then you get older and you get to be like a stupid middle schooler or high schooler and Mr. Rogers becomes a thing that you make fun of or like, yeah. and, and but then like, as I get older, as I got older, like it, probably in high school and certainly college, I was like, man, this guy was doing tremendous stuff for kids. Um, but the movie actually kind of references the making fun because it talks about Eddie Murphy and Mr. Robinson's neighborhood, the the sketches. Uh, but then kind of without saying, it doesn't want to say this, but that satire generally comes from, or parody comes from a place of love. Yeah. Uh, because there was a time that Eddie Murphy met Mr. Rogers and like, 
gave him a big hug and was like, Oh, it's the real Mr. Rogers. And like, was super happy to, yeah. to see him. Like obviously meant something to him. And there was, there was a, an in living color sketch in which Jim Carrey was Mr. Rogers, like at a video store and he's renting. Like, oh yeah. They like show porn and stuff. Yeah. Uh, and I think that was one of the ones they showed as not being. Yeah. And yeah. it's, it's Cause they, the, idea the, th- of, the three sketches they show parts of, they show that they show Mr. Robinson neighborhood. And then there's an SCTV battle of the PBS stars okay. where it's Mr. Rogers and Julia child, like boxing. All right, that's uh, and he like box, he like puts King Friday on his hand. He's like punching <laughs> Julia child's with, with King Friday. It's All pretty right, funny. That's, that's funny. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, like there's something like the humor of the, of the in living color thing is, Oh, this guy who's so decent. Oh, but he's also this underneath. He's this like, seemingly degenerate type of person who capitalizes on his image. Uh, and I feel like that's, it's such a juvenile thing. Yeah. And I know, and I know people like made, I, I know people who made jokes about Mr. Rogers being like a pedophile or something like yeah. that. Just cause but there's the Simpsons. What do you mean? I can't take off my sweater. I'm hot. <laughs> okay. That's fun. That Which is, is something Natalie and I say, if it's hot, we will say I'm hot all the time. Um, and so, yeah, it's, but I do think that, uh, he was just, a genuinely decent person yeah. and did more with and, his life than most of us will ever do. And was an ordained minister and saw television as his ministry. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and yet there was very little, he didn't like read from the Bible on the show. You no, know, there was very just, little of that. He just brought, yeah. you know, I, I know the word it's, it has like now baggage to it, but he brought his values and, and yeah, no, I think that's a into philosophy to his, um, his show. It's okay. Right, we can move on. Next up for me, a very different movie. I saw a quiet place in the country, 1968 there, uh, <laughs> starring Frank O'Neary and Vanessa Redgrave. No, I still haven't actually haven't seen a quiet place. <laughs> You're an asshole. Um, um, but <laughs> I just thought it was funny I that know, it <laughs> had the same title. Yeah. Um, no, this is a very different movie. It's about a couple of artists. Uh, I think he's a painter and she's a writer, I think, mm-hmm. um, who live in Italy and, um, decide to move to a big manor or villa, I guess is the word I'm looking for since it's Italy, uh, in the country. And the movie is, the storyline is shockingly similar to what lies beneath. Okay. Um, which by the way, do you know who wrote what, what lies beneath? No. Clark Gregg, the actor. What? <laughs> yeah. Or co-wrote it. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> Cause I was looking it up to see like, was what was the, was what lies beneath? Like, inspired by this movie and i was like what, clark Gregg," but um I had no idea who is a writer does he write has he written anything else? uh not much um but uh yeah so frank o'neary um basically starts there start being ghosts in the house <coughs> that are trying to kill vanessa redgrave's character and frank o'neary is learning about this uh it's like in 1968 there was like a young girl who died in an air raid during world war ii at this house mm-hmm. and he finds out more about her how she was like uh i guess she was promiscuous that a lot of the men in town were sleeping with her and were kind of in, in love with her and then she died and and now her spirit seems to be uh he seems to be falling in love with the spirit of this uh dead young woman from 25 hmm, years yeah. before um which so there's less of less overt adultery themes like with what lies beneath but in in terms of this basic horror movie framework uh it's very similar to what lies beneath hmm. um but yeah it's it's good it's also there's um uh here's something that 
happens between Frank O'Neill and Vanessa Redgrave that did not happen between Harrison Ford and Michelle Pfeiffer and What Lies Beneath is that they're uh, super into S&M. Like, uh, she will um, tie him up and then go shopping for the day and then oh, and it's part of the, like their sex play and then she like, comes home and Why does he have to go to the bathroom? Uh, I guess he just goes. Um, and then she comes home and like doesn't even on time right away she's like goes through she like shows all the things she bought. Yeah. <laughs> like this is part of their like their games. It's uh, it's very fun. <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, I like that. It's a fun movie. Um, a Quiet Place in the Country. All right. uh, so Clark Gregg, he wrote and did he also direct? Yeah. Okay. So he made a movie a few years ago called Trust Me, in which he's the lead. He wrote and he adapted and directed Choke. Oh. I read read that book. Oh God. Did you see that on the headline the other day? No. It was like, um, uh, pathetic 56 year old still writing Chuck Palahniuk novels. (laughs) 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 Ah, Damn. Still got it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So, uh, Uh, all right. You're up next. Am I? Okay. I saw, Rampage, because I'm okay. stupid. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I got back from the film festival, and I was like, I'm not driving tonight. I'm going to go see a movie. And it was it was. Got to use that my, movie pass before they go out of business. Man, that thing has just been a roller coaster the last <laughs> couple weeks. Um, <clears throat> yeah, uh, and Rampage is the definition of a movie pass movie uh, for me, which is like, yeah, sure, why not? I like The Rock. Um, mm-hmm. And... I had a number of thoughts while watching the film, which I have to assume was not planned by the writer of the film. Um, So one is that this movie is brilliant from a scheduling standpoint, because there's going to be a Godzilla King Kong movie coming out. Mm -hmm. It's on the books. It's, it's, it's coming out. And Whoever dis- whoever realized, hey, wait a second, there's a video game that has an ape, a lizard, and a giant wolf in the middle of the city fighting each other. We can beat them to the punch so that when, I mean, people are probably going to still see the King Kong Godzilla movie. And also they're both Warner Brothers, so it kind of makes sense. Well, yeah, <laughs> I guess sense there's that. Would want yeah, them. maybe this is just like an appetizer. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it just... I remember thinking like, yeah, this is, that's, it's an interesting uh, decision. But, uh, so that was the first thought I had. The other one was when, uh, Naomi Harris is, you know, talking about, you know, her brother who died and, uh, and that sort of thing. Uh, and I wanted to scream, you're a rampage movie. (laughs) You're a movie based on a video game. I played at a pizza hut when I was a kid. You know, I recognize you can make anything serious, but come on. And then, you know, and then your words like just rang in my head. The only person tonally who gets it is Jeffrey Dean Morgan. Yeah. Um, Which, you know what? Actually, I don't agree. I think the villains, I think Jake Lacey and was it Malin Ackerman? Jake Lacey especially. I think they're well cast, but I think those are, they're terribly written, terribly Uh, underwritten roles. uh, Yes. Which is why actually the, my favorite moments of them, uh, of their characters are almost purely performance. Mm-hmm. Um, like when Jake Lacey is talking with Jeffrey Dean Morgan and he's oh, like, right. he, goes, he goes, Hey, it was all her uh-huh. decision. You know, she did everything. And then, uh, and then Jeffrey Dean Morgan's like, he goes, yeah, I mean, you know, what's, uh, you know, what's so illegal about, uh, or, you know, what is it? Uh, uh, I don't remember the line. Something about, 
not conspiracy, like accessory or whatever. Oh, okay. it is. Um, you know, he goes, what is, what is, uh, accessory even mean or whatever and then Jake Lee's like right yes <laughs> and, and, and not realizing he's being sarcastic I did, and then, I did course, like um, Jake Lacey's uh, constant stress eating that he's always yeah, eating junk yeah. food the entire movie that, yeah. that I thought was funny and it was good that it wasn't commented on yeah, yeah. Um, and then you know uh uh, Jeffrey Dean Morgan having one in which one line where he just get, uh, yells "Oh shit" uh, when he <laughs> he's unconscious. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, you know I think it's, it's holy shit. Holy shit, yes, yes. And then the other one is "Oh damn," <laughs> uh, which you talked about, which um, is uh, when a, a yeah. But see, I only liked something. the first one. Uh, I think the uh, because I think. But the second one you're talking about was later in the movie where we had we'd had a bunch of we'd had a couple of other things that were like something crazy happens and yeah. then there's like a tossed off yeah. quip that isn't really a quip it's just a reaction yeah um, whereas yeah the first one when he regains consciousness <laughs> yeah. in a place that wasn't where he lost consciousness yeah. and he screams holy shit notably different is yes. <laughs> very very funny that's very that funny. the um, biggest laugh in the movie for me I did enjoy the. Um, there are certain structural things that I liked about the film. Oddly enough, I like that the characters are only paying attention to George, the ape and Ralph, the wolf. Uh-huh. And we know about the alligator that isn't, doesn't have a name. We know that. Yeah. And they don't up until the moment it shows up. And there's just something about that. There's a, it's, you know, I'm not, God help me for bringing up Alfred Hitchcock, but the idea (laughs) that we know something that the characters don't, and it is something that they're having a hard time dealing with the stuff they do know about. Mm -hmm. And now here comes this other thing that is going to make things much, much worse. And it's based very much on the video game element. And so, yeah, which I I never heard of this video game. Oh but, yeah. Oh, uh, I loved it. I, yeah, I was not, a, it was not a video game. You know, even as a kid, I wasn't into video yeah, games. It's so. in, at, in Taft, California, when we would go to pizza hut, they had a rampage arcade game and I absolutely adored it. Um, and one of the big elements is that the character, the, the monsters, they climb up buildings and just hit them until <laughs> they fall down. And if you happen to line up with someone who's like, who shows up in a window and is screaming, you can grab them and just eat them. Oh, that's which fun. is, which is why when one of the characters, when that it's happens a, to them yeah. at the end, it's a, it's a reference to that. It's a dumb movie. I still enjoyed it as much as it can. I like the opening scene. I like the pro, <laughs> the, no the, the space it. scene. Yeah, that was really effective with the giant. I, 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 it was, it's a month ago now, so I forget, but that giant rat was like not part of the arcade game, but was in like, there was like a, Game Boy version or something. Oh, okay. That like there was some sort of I, I I'm probably wrong about it being, but there was some other version of the game that was the only version that had a giant rat. Oh, neat. and so the fact that there's a giant rat in the prologue is kind of a nod to. Oh, that's fun. I guess the deep dive fans of Rampage. <laughs> oh well. All right. What a delightful fan base that must be. All right, moving on. The actual home stretch for me. Uh, my final documentary of this movie. This has been a documentary heavy movie journal mm-hmm. for me. Uh, but I saw a movie that played at Sundance and then just played here, uh, at the LA, LAA PFF, which is the Los Angeles Asian Pacific film festival, right. um, which I generally try to see one or two things at every year. It's always fun. Uh, this is a documentary called science fair. That is on the one hand, it's, you remember spellbound at the Hitchcock movie yeah. spellbound, but the documentary spell it's, it's spellbound, but it's a science fair, okay. but it, it, uh, uh, that's the one hand on the other, but on the other hand, it's, 
it's a movie that is very aware of the moment and is, you know, not blind to the fact that inventing new ways of thinking about the world and science is potentially more helpful than being able to spell words. Do you know what I mean? And so there's a little bit more weight to it, but not too, I think they're very, very wise not to lean too much on what could have been a really heavy handed of the moment political movie. And the fact that we're at a point where, uh, so at the ICEF international science expo fair or whatever, which is like a, uh, teenagers from all around the world come, uh, and it's in a different place this year. actually happened to be in Los Angeles at the, I saw this at the regal LA live and the ISF that they filmed at was at the convention center, literally, hmm. you know, 200 yards from the, yeah, yeah. Uh, where I was sitting, which is interesting. Um, <clears throat> but, uh, there's a lot that like, so the, this, that year at ISF was the first time that, uh, there were more girls than boys. Hmm. Uh, which I think just shows um, how uh, things are changing in schools. Maybe uh, it's also heavily, heavily, much like Spellbound was about the immigrant experience. Like mm-hmm. so many, uh, and the movie one of, one of the teachers does talk about because uh, one of the teachers because uh, they often have it be sponsored by teachers. Uh, one of the teachers is a first generation. Her parents are from uh, Jamaica, I think, um, and she talks about how much of our scientific breakthroughs and things like car, the car and stuff that were built in America were built by immigrants or first or second generation mm-hmm. Americans. And so the movie is aware of these things, but I think very wisely keeps its story about the kids and let, right. lets that color it in because it would have. I, I think it hopefully it would have felt dated. <laughs> you know, in, in 10 yeah. years or more, uh, if it were a, a polemic, it's not a polemic, but it's also not unaware. Um, and as you know, there's something, I mean, I even brought it up with, uh, Paddington. There's something that bothers me and I recognize it's a film. You can do what you want, but there's something that bothers me about when adults take something that's for children and uh-huh. says, yeah, but what can I get out? Of it? <laughs> yeah. Know? Yeah. Uh, and this is a great story about kids. It's also in a, similar way to won't be my neighbor, but not as much a movie that I teared up a lot during. It's very inspirational. And, um, I was definitely thinking about the, um, uh, Parkland Stoneman Douglas kids and the idea of young people making a difference. Sure. Um, that it was very, very inspirational, but mostly just, it's a bunch of cool nerds, yeah. Uh, like cool to me. Yeah. Uh, oh, I was talking not earlier popular. about kids in glasses. Are you shitting me? This, <laughs> this documentary is going to be great for me. Yeah. Um, and some inspiring stuff. There's one, this one girl, uh, who's a Muslim girl in Brookings, South Dakota. Um, who, this is not her first science fair. She's, she's won at fairs all over the country. Um, she's like pretty much practically the only Muslim girl in her high school. And the, um, the documentarians interview like the, the school interview other like kids at the school be like, Hey, do you know who Keshvia is? And none of them have even heard of her hmm. in this school. And like, it's not like it's a big city. It's Brookings, South Dakota. Yeah. And they don't even know that there's this girl. And, uh, this first made me mad and then it made me, uh, and again, not to make it about the adults, but, um, got me kind of teary eyed was that, like I said, each, any student has to have a faculty sponsor to participate in these things. And for whatever reason, the science teachers at the school didn't care to do it. And so the football coach, this is like a football school hmm. who doesn't know anything about science, but just like sees Keshvia and understands that 
she has potential and intelligence and passion. And he's like, yeah, I'll do it. And he is her sponsor. And there's a great, like funny scene of her, like explaining what her project is. And he's like standing there in front of his like trophy case. And he's like, "Uh huh." <laughs> he has no idea what she's saying, but it's like a really sweet, yeah. really sweet scene. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I really liked it. And speaking of, uh, Parkland, they, uh, I stayed for the Q and a, uh, which I don't normally do, but I stayed for the Q and a because there was a yeah. reception afterwards with free, uh, <laughs> drinks and, <laughs> and tacos. So I was like, I'll sit through this so I can go get the free, uh, food. But anyway, it ended up being a pretty good, um, uh, uh, Q and a, one thing that the, the, the directors, uh, revealed is they have a short film coming out this summer. They made about the spring musical at Stoneman Douglas. Hmm which sounds really interesting. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I, I, I'm not sure what platform that'll be available on, but they've got a short film coming out this year. Uh, anyway, that's science fair. All right. I have one more movie now real quick. Oh yeah. Let me take a drink of water. That's great. Uh, so <clears throat> speaking of Q and a, so at international Christian film festival in Orlando. So I had my talk and, uh, I don't do Q and a with my talk. Cause as you know, I hate it so much. Uh-huh. Uh, but then I was on a panel that I was not in charge of. And the panel was 90 minutes. I thought it was an hour. Uh-huh. So it's 90 minutes. And so like as we're closing in on an hour, I was like, all right, here we go. And then someone says like, okay, we're going to take questions from the audience. I was like, oh, no. <laughs> and I can't leave because I'm right here. <laughs> so I'm like, all right, here we go. Sure enough. There's one person who has a statement to make. Right. And it's a perfectly fine This is more comment. What was it? More comment than a question. Yeah. And it's like, and you know, they're, they start out with like praise. The guy next to me is a, was an actor. He's a very nice guy. And, uh, so this person was pray, praising one of his performances. Okay, fine, whatever. Um, and the guy like in the audience, like kind of goes off on like Hollywood, like not recognizing talent. I'm like, okay, I feel like this guy's being getting personal now. Um, and it got to the point that, and that's uh, that a woman in the audience said like, <laughs> so then the guy in the audience moved on to like the next person and he was going to ask a question to this person, but, but the, someone in the audience had had enough <laughs> and just said like, dude, get to your question, man. <laughs> And it's like, wow, dude and man. Um, but, uh, and so the guy's like, okay, okay, okay. So, and, uh, and then everything after that was fine. But uh, so many people came up to my table and, you know, they said what they liked about the panel and all that. And they said, oh, it was good up until that guy like hijacked the, the, you know, the Q and A. And I can't, and I found myself and I said to them, but also in my mind, I was just like, no, that's what it is. That's what Q and a is. You just clearly haven't been to enough of them. There's always going to be someone. Yeah. I wasn't shocked at all. I was shocked. Somebody said something to the guy, yeah. but uh, no, that's what you should come to expect from a Q and a. And that's why next year I'm going to say, Hey, whether I'm on a panel or not, let's avoid that Q and a. <laughs> um, did I ever tell you my comic con person of interest panel story? Probably. So a guy stands up and starts with his question and he's just rambling. Yeah. It's not even that he has a comment. He just like is a guy, I don't know. He's not used to public speaking or whatever. He just yeah. is not getting into his question and you're hearing rumbling from the crowd. Yeah. And then finally some people start saying things like get to the question. He's like, Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. So what I, what I meant was, and he starts and he loses his train of thought again. And it happens again. Yeah. And the second time, 
people are like, yeah, answer your question. He's like, okay, sorry. So what I was thinking is, is to what extent is your show about the idea of what is God? (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then people in the audience are like, you know what? You're actually right. You should have ramped up more. I apologize. That's on us. Anyway. Um, okay. Then one one more movie for me. This one's out in theaters this weekend. Uh, Sorry. It's a, it's a, it's a UK, uh, it's a British film called beast. Okay. That is, uh, I, I, I loved it. I I can see people maybe looking down on it because it is super angsty. Like, do you ever, Maybe I'm the last movie journalist Ben Solon's to do it. When I talked about You Were Never Really Here, and I mm. denigrated it by saying it's a movie I would have loved it as, as a teenager. Sure. Beast, I mean that in a good way. Like, okay. I hope teens like me and my friends see this movie because it, in some ways, taps so much into, like, the idea that you can have... Like, I, I don't think I had a bad childhood. I had a good childhood, but I was either angry or sad or both just all the time. Sure. I was mostly angry just at not having the options yet. Like I wanted to get out, you know, and that's even having a happy childhood and beast, I think is a movie that, uh, you know, sort of, um, literalizes that by taking place on one of the channel islands. So this girl is literally, you know, uh, kind of trapped, like hemmed in. Uh, but also she's not a teenager. She's a young adult, but she still lives at home. She, takes care of her um father who has alzheimer's mm-hmm. um where whereas her sister is the i guess the more successful one that everyone loves she's less so uh so she sort of works as a tour guide and takes care of her dad and like doesn't and then uh one day at a birthday party for her mm-hmm. her sister steals a spotlight by announcing a pregnancy and so she just decides to leave she goes to a like a a, a club i guess a, a bar stays out all night ends up meeting this guy named pascal who's the local sort of uh i don't know uh ryan gossing the notebook type like he's uh, rugged you know yeah yeah but he also has a bad reputation because of some legal trouble in his past and also at this time there's been a string of kidnappings rapes and murders um and she starts falling in love with this guy and then it's you find out that he's one of the chief suspects okay um and then the movie becomes about like, is that going to be a deal breaker for her or is it perhaps maybe going to be a bit of a turn on for her? Nice. Um, and so the movie gets uh weirder and darker. I would just, I, I, this is my, uh, like the, the, my, my pitch from the player for this movie would be it's 16 candles meets Stoker. <laughs> um, okay. but in, uh, the rural UK uh, on an Island in the, uh, English Channel. I found out the call like it's called, it's the island of Jersey, but they don't call it the island. The official name is the Bailiwick of Jersey, um, which is fun. I love that. Uh, you're shaking your head like you don't love that, but I no, love that. No wonder we left. <laughs> but we have Who's you got know time for all those syllables. <laughs> but you know Massachusetts is uh, officially the Commonwealth, not the state of Massachusetts. Right. That is the official name, the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. That's why they're dead. Uh, Learn that from watching Ally McBeal because <laughs> 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 they were. Boston lawyers mm-hmm. and they would have to say on behalf of the <laughs> Commonwealth of Massachusetts. Anyway. Um, so I, I don't want to get much more about the, the plot away. It definitely goes to some dark and very, I think 
gothy not that it look it looks gothy but in terms of like the kind of stuff that happens like there's a shot in the movie where she's bleeding from the head and the shot is framed in such a way to make it look like she's crying tears of blood mm-hmm. that kind of gothiness but not she's still she's not like wearing corpse paint or like you know black you know platform boots or anything um but what I basically want to mainly want to point out is that this girl, Jesse Buckley, who is the star is phenomenal. Okay. It's a, it's, uh, I've read a number of negative reviews that I think have gotten the movie wrong. Obviously everyone's interpretation is their own, but I think, um, people are seeing it as a twisted romance and seeing it therefore as kind of a two hander. But, uh, the guy Pascal is to me not actually important. Her perception of his him is important, hmm. but this movie is a movie that takes place almost entirely inside her head. I think she's in fact she's a bit of an unreliable narrator. So we, we're not. I don't think we can be entirely sure that everything we see is as it transpires. Um, but she has this alternately sympathetic and winning performance that mm-hmm. can on a dime turn into something absolutely repulsive and animalistic and furious. Uh, and she, she balances it so well. It really is a phenomenal lead performance. So, uh, I, I feel like the movie is, um, not getting as much, uh, attention as maybe it, it ought to, but, uh, it's, it's really, really good. It's called beast. All right. All right. I am done. You've got movies and TV, but I'm going to sit. I back. do. Uh, but you know what? I'm actually going to sidestep, a little bit because I have uh, I saw for my first time by the way I saw Orson Welles The Trial oh I saw it on Mubi so I'm going to go into a bit more detail about it on this week's episode Uh, so I will sidestep it here great but I did watch some TV Uh, Jen and I watched uh, as it came up on uh, Netflix the I believe sixth season of New Girl which is Still a pretty great show in a lot of ways. Um, you know, by the time you get to the sixth season of something, especially a comedy that is that is very relationship based, I feel like I don't know. Everything kind of gets safe, and you know what to expect. Uh, and it is that, but one thing that can happen with a solid ensemble like that is that the performers are able to sell even the even just the most boring and predictable of jokes. And that's definitely the case here. It's mm. a, it's a really, have you watched any new girl? I forget. Maybe a couple in the first season. I remember one with Justin Long, like a Thanksgiving yeah, yeah, episode. Yeah. He was in, he was uh, on it for a little while. Okay. Um, but yeah, there's, there's a, a scene where there's an episode where, uh, Zoe Deschanel's character is out at a bar with Megan Fox's character and Megan Fox reveals something and uh, it's something that, Oh, this is going to be a problem. And so the character's name is Jess. So she's like, all right, well I'm going to do future Jess a solid and black the hell out and just starts drinking so that she can't be held responsible for that bit of information she has. You know what? Not to burst your bubble, but I feel like that's a rip off of uh, how I met your mother gag. Maybe Um, about how, when they would, uh, they would get drunk or high. Mm-hmm. and shirk responsibility and say basically the opposite like oh that's future ted's problem okay, and then yeah. in the and then when they had to deal with it they'd be like god past ted is a dick yeah what did i i saw like an uh, a futurama episode where somebody was cursing 
uh, past whatever or yesterday uh, whatever. So maybe it's just a common joke, but uh, yeah. But and that's the thing is like. Again, I don't actually think the structure of that joke, I think it's fine. Yeah. But she's great. Like Zoe Deschanel as this, ditzy isn't the word, but flighty. This very flighty character uh, who is just, and yet, who, if you knew her, would be so bothersome. But you just take such such delight in her. Uh, it's it's just a great cast all around. And uh, by season six, they kind of have it worked out. And I think they still find some new beats to play, which is nice. Um, I finally started watching season two of Stranger Things. Um, <clears throat> I got about four episodes in and then I just got busy. So I need to return to it. But I actually like it quite a bit. By the time, I mean... You know, it's old news now for most people, but, Mm -hmm. uh, but I was very worried that a show that is as preoccupied with the past and nostalgia as this, like, Oh, good Lord. Can you imagine a season two of that where (laughs) now they're just, because now they've been rewarded for that level of nostalgia. Um, but I, I do like what they do with the what they're doing with the characters and the specific relationships. And again, listeners, they know how the season ends. And so maybe it takes a turn away from what I'm talking about. But I feel like the new cast members and the new characters fit in very well. And yes, it's played by like Paul Reiser and Sean Astin, like these 80s staples. But right. thankfully, they give them characters that aren't just like a reference to uh Burke from Aliens or Mikey from Goonies. It's not that they're they're their own characters, which I like. Uh, and the and the visual effects and imagery is just really great and nicely disturbing with some some good uh, Lovecraft in there, which is mm. a lot of fun and not specifically eighties either. Um, I caught up on Silicon Valley, which I don't want to go into too much detail because you haven't seen it. The last one, I think, I'm, I think I'm only behind by one. The okay. last one I saw in one of the storylines was Jared becoming friends with Fiona, the robot, which <laughs> resulted which, in a really horrific, horrific phys- visual gag. Which I had this was apparent. This was the first. I think this was the first episode of Silicon Valley that was directed by Matt Ross, who plays yes. Gavin. Yes. And so the fact, like, props to him for for really nailing that hilariously disturbing visual gag. <laughs> it is, and it's yeah, and that's that's it's a function of editing very mm-hmm. much so because like it has to be timed out just right. Not merely the cut to it, but just the way everything is deconstructed. Yeah. Literally, uh, is yeah. is delightful. Uh, and then this, the, so yeah, the I haven't next, seen the one after that. It's it's really. It's really good, and it's it's fun when you find, you know, like the character of Guilfoyle, he doesn't, he's a supporting character, by which I mean, they don't give him a lot of new notes to play, and that's not a flaw, that's just, that's he's a very consistent character, uh, but I feel like this season, I think this season specifically, they've found a couple things, like when he gets suddenly, suddenly gets very passionate. Uh, about something mm-hmm. like when he thinks something went wrong with with his code or something like that and then this past uh episode i won't go into detail but there's something he gets strangely invested in uh and it gives martin star something to do which is which is fun because the character is so monotone that it can get a little bit monotonous uh, appropriately um 
David was trying to uh, trying. kill a bug. Oh, he did kill that bug. Oh, I got okay. it. Well done. Uh, Survivor. This is a this is a good season of Survivor with really really good players, and we're getting we're down to the the last seven now, and easily five of them are good players who are likable uh, or at least engaging. And they know the game, and they can, and they know how to play it. Um, it's just, it's always, an, and so like there are like four or five people who could win, and I would be not merely fine with it. But I'd be, I think, yes, they deserve to because they knew how to play this game. And so, um, you know, hopefully the uh, producers don't screw something up with a little twist like they did last year um but that's the thing is the reason they did it last year is because they clearly were favoring a certain player and there's the possibility they might do that but there's nobody this season who has that player's story you know right former vet and all that kind of thing um so yeah this feels a bit more organic and again the way that they're doing the what they call the ghost island thing where they're bringing in past mistakes that players have made uh they're doing it really well uh in a way that like when i found out the premise i i couldn't roll my eyes any harder, <laughs> but they have incorporated it in a way that feels organic in a way that the players are able to manipulate, which I think is great. Uh, it's always fun when the, the show throws something at the players and they're like, okay, I will take that and I will do it my way. You don't get to dictate to me how I'm going to use your little gimmick. I will do it the way that best benefits me. And I love that. And it speaks to how good this particular group is. So I'm really enjoying this season. It could still go south, but I can't. The, the little editing tricks, it's like, okay, well, clearly this person's not going to win because they're not getting a lot of confessionals. They're not doing anything interesting. Right. If they did win, the editors would know it and they would do everything they can to get us to know this person. Uh, and that's not the case. So, uh, just so maybe they know on, that. Maybe they know that, and they just want to they, anger me yeah, they have as to a viewer. Fight against the increasingly sophisticated reality TV viewer. They, you know what? They are doing something starting last season, but really this season that some people I know find very off-putting, and some people really like. Which is, you know, in the past. I mean, this is season thirty something of Survivor, and by this time you know the editing tricks and you kind of go into tri- tribal knowing who's going to get voted off. You at least know it's between these two people and you kind of know where we're leaning. And then you're right. Uh-huh. Uh, this season, starting last season, but definitely this season, they seem to be hiding a lot more strategizing. Like, for example, there was a character that was a character. There was a guy that was in a lot of danger in this last episode and he had an immunity idol. He knew he was being targeted and he ultimately chose not to play his idol, which I've been programmed to, to think is very stupid, but then the votes didn't go his, didn't go his way. And so it turns out, Hey, good. He, he didn't get voted out. He didn't use his idol unnecessarily. And so the conclusion that Jen and I drew is like, all right, there must have been something somewhere before the tribal 
that made him feel a little bit safer. Yeah. And I think in the past they would have shown us that so that we didn't judge him for not playing his idol immediately. Uh, but now they want to get you. I think they want to get you. And I know some people are bothered by that because they want it. They want as much information yeah. as possible. But I think I'm okay with it because, you know, at this point I, I like being, uh, fooled uh, or at least at least I like not being able to predict things so easily so anyway all right we've been talking enough